0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Kuehl Show. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. And we have us a very interesting show today here, folks. Let me tell you, we got all sorts of stuff to talk about because mainly because, well, We got a lot to go into, and pretty much I'm by myself today. Well, as you can tell, I'm pretty sure you can see that right now. Here on 12 Ounce Sports, whether you're watching us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, or or Zingo TV, make sure you check that out. Channel 761, if you go on there, use the promo code 12Ounce to sign up. And make sure you get all the cool stuff because you can watch it on a big screen, Zingo TV. You can watch us on your massively awesome screen. I mean, I'm sure, you know, cause some of us want a fifty-five inch TV for Christmas. But regardless, make sure also to thank our sponsors for today's show here on hashtag TKS. We have mybookie.ag down there in the corner. It's not flipped this time, guys. I got to remember, is down here in the corner. Make sure you go on there, win and get paid. Sign up using the promo code 12 Ounce Sports to win because NFL season is the regular season's all wrapping up. But guess what? You guys still have time to win and get paid. And is right around the corner, guys. So be sure to go on there, mybookie.ag. And, of course, 12 Ounce Sports right up there in the corner. Collection number seven is out, guys. They have gear that they made into wallets and bathroom bags from the likes of Kevin Weeks and Darren Pang and other NHLers. Of course, they have Mike Smith's gear. They got Michigan gear. They got your gear if you're, you know, a Hope College fan, which is, uh, of course, we talked to our guy last week. We talked to Zach Smith, who played for Hope College. He had some stuff on there as well. But we'll get to all that and more today, guys, because like I said, we got a packed show we'll be talking. We'll obviously do our college hockey scoreboard. We'll also be talking about the NHL start date again. I know that's going to be the recurring theme here for the next month and a half or so until we actually hit the ice with the National Hockey League. We'll be talking about some changes in the ECHL because a lot of news came today about some teams opting out of playing. We'll get to that a little bit later on as well. But we're going to start off this show here with a bang, guys, because joining me on the live line here, as he likes to do, coming on now, and is now the newest member of the Five Timers Club here on the cool Show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show from World Hockey Report, none other than Cody Jansen. Cody, how are you doing today, sir? Five times? Has it been that many? It's, it's been a <laughs> few there, Cody. Yeah, we've had you on here, but yeah, it's... well,
1: I'm getting close to co-host status here
0: co-host status you got to fight with Harrison White and Thomas Biondo for that measure let me tell you right now Cody but I mean hey how are things Cody I haven't talked to you in a minute how, how are things up there
1: oh man
0: they're going good
1: they are they are I mean it's you know there, there's some days where you're kind of you're sitting back and you're like ah, oh, it sucks I mean I know you're pretty similar in Michigan you know things are locked down there's not much I mean they shut down all hockey here so it's you know things are a little slow, but, you know, you take a look in the mirror and you go, all right, things could be worse. So we're, we're creeping up on World Junior time, which, you know, hopefully all goes smoothly with that. And, you know, we can kind of get at least some normalcy back in this uh, Christmas holiday season.
0: I concur with you 100% because they are governors and extended the current order, which is another 12 days. And, and you know, we do have our, you know, American college hockey down here going pretty strong. I'm actually going to be calling a game tomorrow night with Harris. Well, I'll be doing color with Harrison Watt up there at Fair State. So I won't be totally bored. It's just I'd like to be doing more, though. I mean, that's why we're doing this here. And Cody, of course, on World Hockey Report, which you can catch here on 12 Ounce Sports. Cody? The reason why we want to talk to you today, because like we talked, like you mentioned, the World Junior Tournament's coming up here. It's an annual holiday tradition, actually starting on the holiday this year. This is no longer just, you know, starting on Boxing Day. This is starting around the time of Christmas, actually playing on Christmas, which, I mean, I'll be honest with you. We're not going to be doing much around here for the holidays anyway. So may as well watch some hockey, right? Oh, exactly. I'm pumped. I,
1: I've never, you know, I get it. The NBA usually plays on Christmas. I do believe I've never been a huge NBA fan, but you know, it's Christmas time. If you got something on the TV, that's likely what it is. At least, you know, if you're coming from a sports household like myself, but now we got world juniors, I'm all down for it too. I, you know, being in the radio industry, usually you might have to work on Christmas being one of the younger people Thankfully, I got it off. So, you know, I get to watch some hockey. I'm, I'm really not mad about that. We actually had some really good Christmas games lined up, too, for the World Juniors. So it's it's pretty cool that, you know, on Christmas Day, you know, you get to watch Russia take on the Americans. Like, that's, that, that's a game that should probably be headlining the tournament. You know, if you think of how much talent is on those two teams and we get that right off the bat Christmas. I mean, that's, that's a president itself, Russian versus the States.
0: Yeah. That's a rivalry that may not be as fierce as Canada, Canada and Russia, but it's still a big one because of course the news that came down recently, Boston University shutting down their entire program, Cody. So they're losing Robert Mastermone, I hope Master Simone, sorry, I said that wrong. Alex Vlasic and Drew Camesso, all of them terriers, they're not allowed to go. So a few new guys are stepping into the fold. So it's kind of a kind of a bit of a I don't want to say a cluster, but you're seeing, Cody, a lot of players not being allowed to go. We'll get to more of maybe some of the COVID players here in just a second, or players that are not allowed to play because of COVID. But the big name that's not going to be allowed to play for Team Canada, Cody, Alexi Lafreniere. And there was a lot of debate because, of course, Kirby Doc was going to be allowed to play with Team Canada. I believe, is Quentin Byfield going to be playing with Canada? Yeah, I do believe so. Yeah, Byfield's, and that's another big name, of course, the number two overall pick. I can't even get it correct. And, of course, Tim Stutes the number three pick going to play for Germany. But Lafreniere was the big one because, obviously, we saw him last year no question he showed that he was NHL ready in the tournament last year tournament MVP led Canada even though he pretty much played seemed like the last bit of the tournament on one leg but how is that a huge loss for this Canadian team despite all the talent that's returning from last year's team or is it the fact that all right we missed out on him but we can still compete with the group that we have now
1: I mean It doesn't help them for sure, right? Like, you know, I'm I'm not too worried about their scoring ability, though. You know, if Lafreniere is the reason that they lose this tournament or Lafreniere not being there, I'd be very shocked. I mean, I I think that there is uber confidence in their front end. I think that, you know, obviously the concern comes from the back end, the goaltending. And, you know, not having Lafreniere suck, sure. Sure. But at the end of the day, you still got a lot of good weapons up front. I mean, you know, you're bringing back a kid. Even even someone like Connor McMichael, right? You know, those are still very solid players. You got Cousins, you got Byfield, you obviously got the Doc addition. You know, they're, they're they're sitting in pretty good shoes right now.
0: Yeah, and I mean, Kirby Doc, because he was a guy that didn't play on the team last year, he's inc- still incredibly talented. We saw that ridiculous pass he did <laughs> during the camp, which... I have seen a lot in summer hockey, even skating with pros, but not when you're I mean, then again, I'm pretty sure Kirby Doc is set in stone to make this team. I don't think that's something. But just the fact that he's able to just have that confidence that, hey, I'm just going to do this thing full speed practice. I'm just going to throw the puck between my legs and kick it like I'm Lionel Messi. I mean, he could be he could fill that role that Lafreniere is leaving, not playing for Canada this year.
1: You got to remember too, though. I mean, they got Perfetti, Newhook, Zari, Krebs, Quinn, Mercer, like Jarvis, Holloway, like they this, and even a kid like Shane Wright, who I honestly hope makes the team just for the experience. But this could be one of their deeper forward groups. I'd say Canada's had in a while. I I really do like this this forward group, and I think that's one of the reasons why they could be a little bit more of a serious contender than people might give them credit for when. You know, most people are going to lean towards Russia in this tournament. I think Canada may have the offense that can crack the Russian solid defense and goaltending this year.
0: That that's the thing, too, because we're, we're unfortunately it's been over a decade since, you know, Canada was used to having, you know, five time champions. Of course, then again, people forget between the first five, Pete and the second five, Pete, there was, you know, 1998 losing to Kazakhstan to all the way to 2003. So I guess there was a bit of that leeway to let everyone else win the tournament a couple times, because it seems like, you know, we looked at the 2015 tournament or basically 20. No, it was 2015. 15. Right. Yeah. Cause this year McDavid got drafted. Yep. 2015 winning in Toronto. Great year. And then right back to dipping the next year. And then of course winning in seven. Yeah. No, they won in 18 cause they lost in the shootout in 17. I'm trying to remember now. Cause now Canada just talked
1: to Zach Bucalli the other day too. Great guy.
0: Zach Bucalli is great. I, speaking of it. I almost, <laughs> I actually, I bumped into him because he was playing for Fort Wayne last year and I was covering or not last year, two years ago and I was covering the K-Wings for the ECHL, so I, I bumped into him and wanted to ask him a bunch of questions, but then again, I he probably just was like, oh, great, another media guy. Wouldn't have got the, the details on his time in Quebec, because, I, I mean, I got my whole theory on why I didn't work with the Ramparts, but that's neither here nor there. But it, what about the goaltending this year? Because that was always a big question, too. You have guys like Carter Hart, and I, I feel so bad, because Mikey D. was so good that year. In Vancouver. It's a shame they got knocked out by another great goaltender and, and lucking in there with the Finns. How is the Canadian goaltending this year compared to last year or even years past? Do we really think Mikey
1: DiPietro is still the goalie of the future for the Canucks? I don't know. I've had that conversation oh. a million times on Vancouver radio, so we won't we won't dive into that. But no, uh, so I would say, and this isn't sort of a shot at the goaltenders. Like I, I mean, I guess it is, but I really don't want it to seem too harsh. But I think this is one of the weaker goaltending uh, tandems or lineups that Canada's had in maybe the past decade. I don't see any. like guarantee number one and i don't think that there's a single goaltender on this list who i would be fully comfortable just you know naming a starter i I don't know like someone's gonna really have to shock me is it gonna be taylor goche who's played on terrible dub teams dylan grand who uh maybe a comparable would be a connor ingram you know a, a solid western league goaltender as well Tristan Lennox was fine, but had let in a couple of softies at camp there, if I remember right. That uh, Brett, I, I think it's Brochu, Brochu. I don't want to like, butcher anyone's name here, but you know he's he played junior C a couple of years ago and Now I was with London. Yeah. Uh, he had a great camp. He was he was the best of the fight that they've had so far. So it, when it's really a toss up like this, Tyler, that's what scares me in the goaltending department is. And, and I get it. You can't choose them before the camp or else Canada would have been running with Olivier Rodrigue last year. And I don't think they win the tournament. Not a chance if they don't have Joel Hofer in that, but you get what I'm saying when this, this is definitely, this is their question mark. They don't have an asker up. They don't have a Spencer Knight. They don't have a Joel Hofer. They don't have a Carter Hart. They don't have, you know, the, the, there's so many, I think that Anfeld kids back in Sweden again, he's unbelievable. Like, Canada is if they've got one weakness, one Achilles' heel, it's definitely goaltending this year.
0: And, and you know it's funny because I saw that you, uh, the World Hockey Report on Twitter, they posted about the 2011 collapse against Russia. And at the at, <laughs> at, at, at that time, Cody, let's be honest, Canada was just coming off. Yes, they lost in 2010 in Saskatchewan, which or Saskatoon, which absolutely was. I mean, it's it was weird at that time because I was I was kind of started here for Canada because obviously Jordan Eberle was still there and they had a really good goaltending tandem and Jake Allen and Martin Jones and they lose to Jack Campbell who was finally an NHL goaltender. But I I but looking at 2011, I'm like all right, this team's still good. They you know ran through the preliminary round. This team's got it right. This team's got it, and then they run this Russian team, which at that time had talented players, but. We didn't know how good our Timmy Panarin was going to be. We didn't know how good that Russian team was really going to be. And now looking back on a hindsight, 2020, yes, Russia beat an ECHL goaltender, Mark Byzantine. I'm sorry. I'm like, now you look back at them. Like, how was Canada even in that game?
1: Yeah, that's incredible. Hey, Adam was the one that I actually tweeted. I'll kind of give him some kudos there. He's the, he's the hockey historian, hockey nerd guy, but, Man, that Russian team was incredible. There was so many good players. Like when you think about it, like Tarasenko and Panarin, like we're playing second line minutes for them. That's insane. That just shows how good they were. So I, I mean, it's cool to look back. I get it. Like as a kid, I'm pretty sure I was borderline in tears from watching that game. But, you know, you look back and I get it. Vicentine wasn't great. Was he their best option at the time? I'm I'm sure he was. But doesn't that just show how important goaltending is in this tournament, Tyler? And I know, I mean, you're a goalie guy. I'm a goalie guy. So obviously we're going to give some favoritism. But with how much adrenaline and emotion and all that plays into this tournament, if you don't have a solid goaltender, you're screwed. There's no chance for you in this tournament.
0: Well, I mean, shoot, look at Finland a couple years ago. Yes, that Finland team had Capo Kako and a lot of other weapons, but you don't have Uko in back there. It's a whole different team. There's not the same confidence. And, of course, yes, you had Carey Price back in the day, and Steve Mason was a gold medal-winning goaltender. I mean, the, the way – how important a good goaltender is – listen – and I will say this, sometimes they don't all turn out to the NHL. I'll say that right now. Listen, Manny Legacy was a backup for his entire career. But gosh darn it, if you don't ever mention this one performance in the World Junior Tournament, you are clearly not a true Canadian because it was amazing. But you that just shows you, if you don't have a good goaltender, you're not going to win. You can have talent up front. I mean, look at i mean how good Germany could be. They have Stutzel. Yes, they don't have... Moe Sider, which is a crying shame. I don't know what's the problem. He looks fine in every other game he's played in this year. That's neither here nor there, though. But, like, that's a team that may run into a problem with goaltending. Now, yes, they have sick pads, but I don't know about the rest of them. I the actual the rest their <laughs> I'm real. i I will say this. The goaltenders this year, Cody, because you guys have been posting a lot about them, giving them the ratings. I'll tell you, the goaltending, the pad game this year is strong. Let me tell you, these guys are really coming out with the bangers here.
1: Look good, feel good, play good. That's the model. That's the model right there. No, I mean style comes first, right? That was uh, that. That's always how I put it. You know, if you you don't look good, why play? But uh, yeah, Bauer, CCM, they're knocking it out of the park. I think that German set's unbelievable. That's a uh, that's a cool. One. And you know, it's you, you brought up both cider, and th- this is what pisses me off if I'm allowed to say that on the show is you know Steve Eiserman. Is it him that's saying don't send Sider there because we want him for, you know, maybe to make the wings this year? Is it his Swedish team saying, no, you can't go? Because I believe Sweden, I mean, they've had multiple teams in lockdown now or get COVID. So, like, they're they're probably going to be shut down like Finland until the new year. I don't understand the reason for not letting him play. And this is the same thing. It's, you know, you're beating a dead horse when it comes to Jack Hughes, Lafreniere, Mo Cider. Let them play. But from a German standpoint, if I'm the German Hockey Federation, I am so pissed off right now. This is the best German team they might ever have. It is. It's the best team they might ever have. When you take a look at Stutz, as long as he's healthy, Lucas Reichel, you got JJ Paterka, you potentially got Mo Seider on the back end. Like, Those guys are as, like, that That matches up with any top line in the entire tournament. Any top line. No question about it. No question about their power play would likely be number one or two in this tournament. Their, you know, their depth and their goaltending are going to be, have, cause them issues. But aside from that, man, I mean, Germany, if if you're a German hockey fan, you got to be disappointed. I mean, this is a kick in the nuts.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's tough because they always talk about, oh, German hockey's growing. And that was the talk going into the draft with Stutzel being such a high pick. It was like, oh, man, German hockey's growing. Well, this is kind of a, a step back. And Like I said, that could be Iserman. It could be his Swedish team. It could, who knows what could be the cause of it? As we've learned, of course, with with I, I don't want to go too far because we don't have too, you know, too much time, but Owen oh, Power with the University of Michigan, which I get I want Michigan to do well, <laughs> but come on. <laughs> He's got the ability to represent his country. Why not let him? So let's get, before we let you go here, Cody, where do you, I mean, who, I mean, you talk about Canada really being a contender. I'd love to ask you about Austria, but I don't even know if Austria is going to, I'm hoping, I hopefully they win a game. Fingers crossed it'd be great. Just because I like to see more teams do well. And I like those stories, but who do you think, who, if you could pick gold, silver, bronze right now, obviously a lot can change before now, before game one of the tournament on Christmas day. But what do you think, the top three, who do you think is going to win this thing? Who do you think is going to lose? And who do you think is going to win a consolation prize?
1: That's a crazy question to uh, put me on the spot here. I, I I like it. Honestly, I think that Austria you know, you, you mentioned them as more of a joke. I'm excited to see Marco Rossi play. I mean, that's, that is that's true, just yes. one player yep, that is true. who's always fascinated me. And I, and I get it. It's funny. It's Austria. Like, I, I totally get why you're taking well, a job. Well, look but at I, Kazakhstan, I mean, though. Eh? Look at Kazakhstan a couple years ago. But Ka- Kazakhstan never had a Marco Rossi. Germany, I mean, last year they had, a good, they had a couple of good players. But, like, Marco Rossi is potentially one of the best Austrian-born players of all time. You know, we didn't have any Kazakhstan best players of all time. We haven't had really any Swiss best players of all time or Slovakian best players. Like I, I don't know, it, it's interesting. Like because a, a hat trick for Austria for Marco Rossi could be the difference in them getting relegated and them staying in the top pool. So yeah, right. that, that that's 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 an interesting key to uh, focus on. But man, putting me on the spot for uh, gold, silver, bronze here. That's a tough one. I I really. I, although Sweden's having a lot of changes, I, I thought that they might be a very solid contender for bronze, but I I think I'll go with the Americans for bronze. I think that they're a, a good, not great team. I uh, man to, to take Russia or Canada for gold or silver. That's crazy. I mean, that's, you might as well put me on a pirate ship here at this point. And let me walk the plank, but I'll, I'll give Canada the gold just because I have to, I feel, Kirby Dock has that leadership ability. Kirby Dock's a game changer. And, you know, he's going to be the reason why they can crack Yaroslav Askarov and the Russians. So it's not going to be pretty. I don't think we're going to be seeing any 2-1 or overtime games here this year. But I I think, you know, Canada could probably get by with a 4-3-5-4 game in a final and beat Russia.
0: Ooh, that'd be a crazy one. Besides, I mean, I love to think Sweden would get bronze too, but Cody, come on, let's be honest. It's, ever since they won back in 2012, what have they done? What have they done? Swept through the preliminary round like nobody's business and dropped a bomb in the quarter of semifinals. That's how it always goes. It's That's how Sweden is. At least that's how it Is their
1: winning streak still on?
0: I honestly, like, I, I, I
1: kind of forgot about it. It, it, was, it was crazy for so long, and now it's just, it's over my head. I don't know, they won like 46
0: straight. I feel like the double IHF has purposely kept them out of the same pool as Canada, just so they have a chance to do it. Cause I don't think Canada's played Sweden outside of the medal round or outside of the quarterfinals or semifinals since Exactly. I, I'm trying, I can't remember. I was probably, I think I was in high school when they won the goal in 2012. And since then it's been, you know, whoever like they've, they just ran through now, granted, I believe they did get Kazakhstan in there. And when Kazakhstan's first year, and oh, wow. I know they get the Danes, but it'll be interesting to see how it goes. And I mean, askarov he's a great goaltender, but he catches with the wrong hand. Come on, come on, Janner. You know he catches. With we, the wrong have hand. we talked? Have we talked about
1: this though? Like, I—I I mean, you know, we're both goalie guys here, and being honest with you, is the the last successful goaltenders to catch with the writer, Jonas Hiller and Steve Mason, arguably, but the last solid starting goaltender to, you know, have a successful career, like a successful starting career of say five plus years, maybe 10, I guess would be Tom Barrasso. Honestly, you know, we're, we're going back to the grant Fuhr days. Like yeah. it's, it's a, that, it's a, that tough for a goofy goalie to make it in the NHL. That's why I was very shocked that Nashville picked him, And that's why I honestly, I get it. He moves great. He looks on awesome. I don't have faith that he's going to be, you know, this all-star goaltender. I really don't. And that's, that's nothing against, you know, him coming up through the rich kid system in Scott. It's nothing against him playing on the rig. KHL teams and stuff. Always having the best players in front of him, the best systems. It's just the fact that right-handed catching goaltenders don't have success in the NHL. Is it something because there's more left-handed shooters in the league and they've got an advantage towards that? Is it something that, you know, players have an easier time scoring on a goaltender that catches backwards once they figure it out? I don't know. I honestly don't. But yeah, I'm not sold on Askarov by any means.
0: Well, I thought it worked with Volkoon, so why not try it again? At least worked with Volkoon for a couple of years, so try it again, right? We have been talking. And, and no, oh, goofy, go ahead, goofy
1: goalies, you know, backwards catchers have, you know, it's it's worked for them for, for short stints of time. I mean, I think even Jonas Hiller had a good little stint there in Anaheim, Calgary, but like for a, a long period of time, and I'm meaning, you know, five plus years is a very good starter. Yeah, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't. It, it, it's something about catching with the wrong hand or the right hand. whatever You want to go with. I just don't see it working for some reason. I'm not a I'm not a doctor. I'm not an expert. I'm not a scientist here. But I, I just have no faith in it.
0: I I, it's, I think it's just because so rare. I, I, I'd say I'd love for there to be an influx of right handed catching goaltenders. But I think it would drive me crazy. I think I'm watching a game through a mirror. But we'll just have to wait and see how Askarov does. If it's Canada rushing the final again, Cody, it'll be must-watch TV for sure. We've been talking... Are you with... not ex- Are you not oh. excited for this tournament, though? I've like, been... I mean... Well, the fact that it's... This def- is going to be incredible. Because this was... Had the makings of the, uh, with the exception of Lafreniere, Cody. We were looking at legitimately having the 05 World Junior Tournament all over again. <sighs> just a superstar, all-star Canada team. Against a possibly superstar Russian. It's going to look like that now. Of course, remember Ovechkin was on that 05 team and they, of course, but then again, Canada had half the NHL and half of whatever was, I mean, geez, that did that. I must say that Canada team didn't lose that year. Right. No, 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 no they did not. Was there any game that was within four goals? <laughs> I don't even remember. It was,
1: um, I think they won the final like 6 1 or 6 2. Gosh, almighty,
0: that was a super
1: Jeff Glass, Jeff Glass, the net glass is
0: a beauty, Jeff Glass. And I, and it's funny, like all that superstar team, and Jeff Glass is your goaltender. I mean, it's, I mean, it's good, but I mean, it's... Spangler Cup winner, Spangler Cup. Hey, so, as we talked about Fukali, Spangler Cup winner right there.
1: Yeah, he's on his way to becoming a legend. He's two for three. His only loss came in a shootout. Who thought of that? Who thought of having a shootout in a finals? I don't
0: know. That still rubs me the wrong way. I made sure I left that off when we talked with Melody Daewoo a couple weeks ago. Because, my gosh, her and I probably would have lost our minds talking about that 2018 gold medal final in the Olympics. But, (laughs) man, that was fun. But, anyways. We had fun here with Cody Jansen. Follow him at Janner31 underscore at World Hockey Report, and that's RPT if you're going to follow on the Twitter. Be sure to follow them or all their cool stuff. They're right here on 12 Ounce Sports as well. Cody, thanks for taking the time, man. I wish we could talk longer, but you and I are both working all the time, so got to let you go here. We'll definitely have you on later here and become a member of the Six-Timers Club here on the Cule Show. Tyler, I appreciate it. Take care. You as well, sir. That was at World Hockey Report. Sorry if we have any connection issues here, guys. I've been keeping my tabs on that right now, and for some reason, I keep seeing red on my on my software. But it seems like we're okay connecting now. Let us know in the chat section. I'm gonna pull up the all the connections on my uh, on my phone reach for the chat because for some reason I do it on my laptop, and it's what makes it laggy. And I don't want that to happen for you guys here on Twelve Ounce Sports. But we got still get a lot to talk to today. Let's kind of stick with the World Junior theme here. We did talk about, I mentioned it with Cody Jansen and how COVID's kind of really kind of messing up some of these World Junior Hockey rosters. So the big news that came out today and kind of important news for myself, like I talked about doing a game with Ferris State tomorrow, one of their goaltenders is making going to be making the trip up to Edmonton as part of the U.S. World Junior team. So the guys I talked about, Robert Simone and Alex Vlasic, defenseman for Boston University and goaltender Drew Kamesu. All Terriers, they're not going to be able to participate because Boston University's had too many tests, apparently, and they're going to shut the whole thing down there in Boston, which stinks because they're supposed to play this week. Again, they're supposed to play Merrimack this week. I don't know if Merrimack's going to reschedule, but we'll just have to wait and see with them. But in replacement for for them, Tyler Clevin, Hunter Skinner, and Logan Stein. Tyler Clevin and Hunter Skinner, both guys that have played junior hockey. Logan Stein, an up-and-coming goaltender. A freshman goaltender out of Ferris State. Clevin was an Ottawa Senators draft pick of this past year in the second round. Skinner was a fourth round pick in the 2019 draft. So it'll be interesting to see how they do it. John Van certainly he says, quote, it's certainly heartbreaking for Robert, Alex, and Drew to not have the chance to make our team, and we feel for them in a press release but it's great to that have the depth that we do and we're pleased to welcome Tyler Hunter and Logan excited to get our camp underway to continue with work with our st- medical staff the IIHF and the government of Alberta to help provide the safest possible environment everyone associated with our team and quote this is going to be a very interesting tournament guys because this is like I said this is not going to be the last time we're going to hear about someone going out uh, we talked, of course, in Swedish news, Willinder, a Toronto Maple Leafs draft pick, he tested positive for COVID, so he's not joining Sweden as they come across the pond to play in Edmonton for the World Year Tournament. Because remember, this is going to be a bubble too, guys. It's going to be a bubble. I have to remind myself to – got to take Cody off the screen here. Sorry, Cody. Can't keep you on there forever. I center myself here, but let's let's kind of look at this here, guys, because we're going to get into this a little bit more when we talk about the NHL and the ECHL a little bit here in just a moment. We'll probably get to that next, the ECHL that is. I, it is. You're going to have these problems. That's why they're doing all this extensive testing now, because once you get in the bubble, if there is a positive test, we're, I mean, it's chaos at that point, because thankfully we never had to have that in the NHL bubble. We didn't have any issues because everyone tested positive and no one left the bubble. Everyone abided by the rules at play. This is obviously not going to be as long, though, as the NHL playoffs. It's going to be a lot easier for kids. Don't forget, guys, these are kids. These are 17, possibly 16, Shane, right? 16 to 20-year-olds that are stuck in these bubble, but they're only going to be there for a couple weeks. This is not a two-month process because obviously kids get very antsy, right? I mean, shoot, I remember when I was 18, I was going into college, and... I probably bounced around more than a super bouncy ball in a mat in a very confined area. I probably bounced more around than, like, you know, those mirrors that you saw in those crazy houses. That was me, bouncing around, and it looked like it was going from every single direction. But with that said, I want, I, you can't wait to, I mean, I almost can't wait to see, but pay attention, guys, because there are going to be some players that are initially on the roster. Obviously, Canada's coming out of their quarantine as of now. Now, there hasn't been an official word yet from Hockey Canada on how they're going to continue on with the camp heading into the tournament. Obviously, they're going to have to find a way to make sure these kids don't go anywhere. Obviously, they were Red Deer. Not a whole lot to do out in Red Deer, but they're probably going to start moving them into Edmonton, probably do an extensive amount of testing at this point right now, this week, so they can move them into the bubble as quickly as possible. So Canada may be in there before everyone else is. So there is that to consider. Now, what does it mean for overseas? Now, like, like Cody kind of mentioned, a lot of Swedish teams are shutting down that are cutting the season short. They said, guys, we can't do it. It's not safe. I know a couple guys that are playing over there in the lower levels. They have to come home now because of the problems, which means they're going to have to quarantine when they come home because they're leaving teams that are, that are ending their season because of coronavirus. And this is not just in Sweden. It's happening a little bit in Finland as well. There are some outbreaks of Russian teams. And, of course, we see here in the States, games getting canceled left and right with college hockey. The junior hockey ranks, Quebec League right now, is on pause until the new year. The OHL already announced they're not going to start until February. WHL is not supposed to start until the end of January. There is a lot going on, and there are certain teams in the United States Hockey League and the North American Hockey League down here in the U.S. that are seeing ma- major pauses themselves because of the fact of certain states' regulations. Up here in Michigan, we have the Lumberjacks. They're not allowed. U.S. National Development Team, they're not allowed to play. Because of rinks being closed. Now, I don't know if the national development team has moved because of this. Obviously, the junior team, because if they can't train in Ann Arbor, well, they're gonna have to find somewhere to go. Because right now, like I said, the current shutdown is extended 12 days, it's supposed to end tomorrow here in the Mitten State, but it's obviously going to be extended for almost two weeks from now, which will pretty much take us into the Christmas break. So, if you're looking at playing high school hockey here in Michigan, well. 2021 it's gonna be around the corner guys woo yay it's gonna be awesome i listen guys i this is something that I should have seen coming but I was just that naive optimistic that I, I kind of end sometimes yeah but Tyler you sound so pessimistic you yell all the time yes I yell all the time guys it's it's what I do it's very therapeutic believe it or not you get all the animalistic tendencies out of you by yelling and screaming and complaining about things but I was hoping like man I can get some games in this year. If I can call at least one game, play-by-play that is, no offense Harrison, if I can do one play-by-play game, that's going to be a win for me this year. At this point, despite me, you know, I'm receiving schedules from my coaches that I work with at Davenport, and I see these schedules, and I'm like, hey, these are great guys, but how are we going to be allowed to play? Like, that's my mindset in all this now, because I'm slowly starting to realize that it may or may not happen. And I, and I have to respect that. I have to understand that, you know, the game may not happen this year. And the fact that college hockey is still going forward is great. The NCHC is in the bubble right now. They don't play tonight. Only game right now is Minnesota State and Michigan Tech. Last time I checked, they were scoreless. I have not been able to check since then. Let me see if I, maybe I can pull it up here. I had, a, I had the stat line up here. Click. There we go going up to my good friends there, still 0-0 in the second period, according to the Michigan Tech stat sheet in that game up in Houghton, Michigan. So I, I, I want to think that, you know, that'll go on and that's going to be awesome. Obviously, NHL is going to want to come back, like so we'll get to that a little bit later on. The AHL is going to come back. The ECHL is coming back in some capacity, but it's going to be very minimal because, as of today, The Cincinnati Cyclones said they're going to opt out of the season. The Idaho Steelheads and the Kalamazoo Wings, the K-Wings, right down the road here from us, they're opting out. And I'm also hearing that Fort Wayne may pull out here soon as well. So there's a lot to be kind of keeping our eyes on here because the ECHL, now once again, they're kind of seeing what's going on. Obviously in the south and out west a little bit, it's a little less strict on how they treat the coronavirus guys. So it may be easier for them to play because, hey – Government doesn't care. Cool. Heck, I'm pretty sure I don't even know how bad it is down there. I mean, watch a Alabama Crimson Tide football game. It's about half, guys. They may say, "Oh, it's only 40 percent, 30 percent capacity." Guys, watch the game back. It's it's half. They they are gonna fill as many people in that stadium as they can. That's just the law. That's just the truth, unfortunately. And of course, we're seeing some issues with California teams not being able to play which may affect the National Hockey League as well if they don't get exception exceptional status do the Ducks, Kings and Sharks and obviously that would include the American League teams in Bakersfield, Ontario and Stockton so like I said we'll have to keep our eyes and ears open for that oh San Diego as well almost forgot San Diego is that all of them well I guess the San Jose Barracuda as well but that goes to San Jose but you're kind of seeing a theme here and yes, you keep here. you see it in the news. I see it myself. I work in a news. I work at news radio. There is obviously possible vaccinations getting approved of, but that's the thing, though, guys. It's going to be frontline workers. My nurse wife out there in the living room. You're going to see those people get them first. You know, nursing homes, and then it's going to trickle down from there until it gets to hockey players, like athletes itself. That's probably pretty far on the totem pole, guys, on who's going to get a vaccine if it. If it obviously ends up working and when it becomes available to the mass public, we're going to be we're like at the level of citizens. I mean, obviously, there'll be big corporations that are going to get the high profile athletes like the major sport athletes. They're going to probably get it first. But by the time it gets down to the college ranks and junior ranks, high school ranks and all the way down to just your everyday person. Guys, we may be look we may be saying, is it Labor Day already? Well, not already for some of us because, geez, 2020, between March and Labor Day felt like three years. But regardless, the hardest thing that I'm pretty sure you at home have had to realize, and myself included, just ask Kelly, is the fact that patience here is the most important thing to have during these times. That's why the National Hockey League is tough because we just want some normalcy back. Just give us the game back. Just give us hockey. And that's why the World Junior Tournament coming up here is so important. Because for us, you know, for me, the 26th is not the Christmas hangover day. That is the day after Christmas, which means hockey. Canada versus Germany. Well, sometimes Canada versus the U.S. But the World Junior Tournament starts back up again. That's what we are, I guess, instilled in our bones and our program to do. Watch hockey right after Christmas. Some people, it's bowl games. It's football. And, yeah, I'll watch some college bowl games. But if there's a hockey game on, shit, I'll watch it. Heck, I'm not going to lie, folks. When I was at the GLI last year, I'm up there at the top with, you know, a bunch of great scouts, players up the wide, and, of course, former players, you know, statisticians, other members of the media, I'm doing my writing for, for the hockey writers. On my screen is Canada playing. I believe they were playing Slovakia. Was it Slovakia last year. It could have been the Czechs. Regardless, I was doing that. I was watching the game, but I was also watching the game on the ice because it's so... I mean, that's literally what it is. And for me, it's the GLI and the World Junior Tournament. I was fortunate enough to be at both at the same time. So it worked. I mean, not at both, but I was able to be present in mind at both. So getting... To the, getting back to the point at hand of having these COVID tests and seeing players go in and out. The reason why it's a big story right now for the World Juniors, for Team Canada, that is, is because this is really the first, or for the United States, pardon me, is the fact that this is the first. The first big wave, like, you know, three players, all from one college program, being told to stay home. This is not the first time. This may not be the last time. This may not be the last time for the United States. Maybe something happens with Team Canada. Who knows? We're going to probably see some issues with players, not just in Sweden, maybe some Finnish players, maybe even some Russian players that may have to pull out because they test positive. There is a lot to look at here, guys. There is a lot to just take in, and you're going to have to understand. There will be some players that, you know, who knows? Imagine a week before they arrive in Edmonton. Germany releases the announcement, Tim Stutzel can't play. That has huge implications for that hockey club coming over here into Canada because that is their that is their golden egg into this tournament. That is their guy they're going to look to to lead this team, somehow to how Moe Seider last year. Next year, maybe Mo Ro- Marco Rossi. What if he has to pull out for Austria? Maybe they'll get relegated again. What if Canada loses a guy like Kirby Doc or Colt Perfetti? That's a big part of that offense. Now, yes, maybe Canada has a deeper lineup, but still, when you lose a guy like that, there's no, hey, he'll be back in a game or two. If he's out, and he can't go to the bubble. That's it, guys. It's over. It's over for him. And that's the hard part in this whole tournament and how this is getting set up. That's why they moved it into one bubble in Edmonton. They're not going to do the typical traditional two locations because they're not able to. So I'm really, I'm, I'm watching this and I'm paying attention to this because there could be a lot that can happen here in the next couple weeks before the tournament, before they move in. So it's just it's gonna be a crazy time. That's why 2020 has been so just crazy, and that's why we're all hoping it ends. But guys, what if it what if it doesn't? What if it continues into next year in some facet? We'll just have to wait and see. I hope it changes soon. But with that, I think we're gonna take a quick break here, folks, because you know. I think we're done talking about World Junior. We're not talking about we're not done talking about COVID, though, because unfortunately we gotta talk a little bit more about the NHL because, you know, all that good stuff. We'll also talk about the goal the greatest goal in the history of hockey. Not the most important goal. So unfortunately, Paul Henderson's goal in game eight of the 72 Summit series won't count. Or Mike Aruzioni's goal in 1980 Olympics against the Soviets. That won't count either, unfortunately. We're talking about the greatest skillful goal, the biggest highlight reel goal. In hockey history we'll talk about that later on in the show but when we come back folks we'll talk about the nhl When are they going to start up will they start up will there be a season i hope there's a season because why well i need more hockey we'll be back here on the CUEL show here on 12 ounce sports We are back, everyone. Oh, well, that was um, interesting, to to, 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 to to say the least. So I'm back here. Hi, I'm Tyler Kuehl, everyone. You're Insider of the Insiders, your host for today's show. And, yeah, it looks like we're all good. I don't know what happened to my internet all of a sudden. I know it was starting to frizz out during Cody Jansen's interview, which stinks because it was such a great interview. And, of course, I talked in length about some possible issues with the Royal Junior Tournament and COVID-19 and all that stuff. So... We're okay for now. As far as I know, we're all good. So everyone, can, everyone, I think it's going to be okay. I should be able to make it through. As far as I know, we're live. Tell us we're live here. Jump on, jump in the chat whether you want to or jump on the comment section whether you're watching us on Twitter or Facebook or Zingo TV as well, channel 761, here on 12-Ounce Sports. It is that time again, folks. It is the best part of the show in my eyes. Well, not maybe not the best part of the show. One of my favorite parts, one part that I just I enjoy doing because, well, you know, I, I write about college hockey and I like following because it it's it's such just a fun sport to follow because these some of these kids may not make it to the big time. Some kids may. I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of great guys. Obviously, from Ferris State, you have a guy like Chris Kunitz, an Olympic gold medalist, world championships player, played, you know, four times Stanley Cup champion. Of course, Jonathan Tate played at North Dakota. Curtis Joseph played at Wisconsin. There's a lot of great players. So, folks, it is that time for none other than the college hockey scoreboard. Oh, yes. Let's get that drum line going, folks. Let's get her going here. We're starting off strong here today. If I can get my, my thing up here, right? There we go. We got the college hockey scoreboard starting off on Tuesday. We had a lot of action that time, guys. A lot of action throughout this entire week with the NCHC. Start off in Atlanta, Hockey. Holy Cross beating Bentley 2-1 in overtime. Andrew Dumarskiu with the overtime winner for the Crusaders in NCHC action. St. Cloud State beating number 17 Western Michigan by a score of 4-3. Nick Perbix, the game-winning goal with 27 seconds left, goes off of a Broncos defender and in. He might make that goal and an assist for the Huskies. Number three, Minnesota Duluth also beat Nebraska Omaha on that day. Kobe Bender for the Bulldogs. One goal and one assist for two points in the 5-3 win over the Mavericks. Non-conference action, Bowling Green, number 18, defeated Robert Morris 6-3. Will Cullen had a goal and two assists for three points. Cameron Wright, one goal and three assists for four points for the Falcons. In NCHC action on Wednesday, number four, Denver beats number four. Excuse me, the Bulldogs beat number four, Denver. Minnesota Duluth going starting off the season two and oh two third period goals Jackson Case and Kobe Roth ended up being the decider. Cates went one goal and one assist for two points. And also Miami fell to North Dakota, number one North Dakota winning two-nothing. Adam Shield with a 19 save shutout for the Fighting Hawks. Big Ten action as you see there. Michigan getting a three-to-one win over Penn State. Straussman 38 saves. Nolan Boyle, a goal and an assist. On Thursday, Penn State finally gets their first win of the year in a wild nine-to-five win. over the the Wolverines. The guys, this one was crazy. The lead changed four separate times in this game. There were were four lead changes. Four lead changes. Seven goals were scored in the second period alone. Nine Lions had multi-point games. Arteliti and Bobby Hampton each had two goals. Jared Westcott a goal and two assists in the win for the Nittany Lions. Also in Big Ten action, Minnesota knocking off Michigan State with a 3-1 win. Scott Reedy. Five goals in the team's first six games. That made it four and five on that night with a goal and an assist. Jack LaFontaine, 24 saves. And the Sun Devils, you know, Arizona State, knocking off Notre Dame on the road. Two goals for Jax Murray, 31 saves for Evan DeBrower and Matthew Copperou. Two goals and an assist. Also in that game, Wisconsin. Or also on that day, Wisconsin falling to the Buckeyes. Ohio State winning four to two. Tommy Napier, 37 saves. In NCHC action on that day, you had the Omaha, Nebraska Omaha. Or beating Western Michigan in a wild 10-2 win. The score was three to two at the halfway mark of the hockey game, but then seven unanswered by the Mavericks put the game well out of reach. Jason Smolich, a goal and four assists for five points, set in an NCAA, tie in an NCHC record. Matthew Miller and Chase Primo each had three point nines as well. And now as we move over to Friday, going over there, Sacred Heart in Atlantic hockey action. Picking up the win over Holy Cross, 2-1 victory. Ryan Steele and Marcel Gudbu each having a goal and an assist. Josh Benson, 38 saves for the Big Red. Robert Morris knocking off Air Force in the win with a 4-1 victory. Noah West picking up his first collegiate win for the Colonels. Bentley Falcons knocking off Army West Point. Michael Zavante with a two-goal performance. Nicholas Grabco, 32 saves in that game for Bentley. Moving over now to the Big Ten, number 14, Wisconsin. beating beating Ohio State, earning the split. A goal and two assists for Cole Caulfield and a goal and two assists for Jack Gorniak, including Caulfield and Brock Caulfield, picking up a goal and assist as well for the badges. Minnesota completes their weekend sweep over Michigan State with a 4-2 win. Jack Reed, like we said, five in six games now, in five goals, six games, leads the Big Ten with seven points. LaFontaine, another win, going now 6-0 on the year, 30 saves for him. Arizona State, a very close game on Notre Dame. Came down to the last few seconds of the game. Jack Lieberman scoring the game-winning goal as Notre Dame came back from being down 4-2 in the third period to get the weekends or the week split with the Sun Devils. Hockey East action. Providence going up against Boston College. Eagles win 3-0. Spencer Knight, a 30-save shutout. And the only game in the NCHC that night. Picking up the win. North Dakota knocking off Denver for the 4-3 overtime win. Jordan Kawaguchi, the game-winning goal. As now we move over to Saturday, we look over at those games. Start are off at Atlantic Hockey once again. Army is able to pick up the split with a 2-0 win. Lincoln Hat in the game-winning goal. Justin Evanson, the 24-save shutout for the Black Knights. Niagara versus RIT. The game ended 3-3 after overtime. They did go to shootout for the extra point in Atlantic Hockey action. Jake Hammaker the shootout winner. 23 saves for Logan Drackett for the Niagara or for the RIT Tigers. Purple Eagles had a 3 0 lead in the first period before RIT came back. Robert Morris played Air Force. Colonels won that game 4 2. Jordan Timmons, a natural hat trick in the first 10 minutes of the game, sent Robert Morris to the win. Moving over to Hockey East now. Merrimack playing against number 8 UMass. Minutemen win by a 3 1 margin. Josh Lapina, a goal and an assist for the Minutemen. Matt Murray, not that Matt Murray, different, one, 16 saves. Number two, BC, knocking off Providence with a 9-0 win. A big outing there for the Eagles. That was led by Matt Bowley with two goals and an assist. Six, six players, by the way, for Boston College had multi-point games in this one. 36 saves for Spencer Knight, picking up another win and another shutout for the Eagles netminder. As now we move over to the NCHC action, is down to your lower right, talking about St. Cloud and Denver. St. Cloud getting the win, a 4-3 win. Denver starting out the year 0-3. Miami and Omaha. Mavericks win that game with a 2-1 overtime win. Martin Sundberg scoring just 17 seconds into that overtime. 26 saves for Isaiah Saville for Omaha. At your top right there, Mercy and Bowling Green State. The Lakers pulling off a little bit of an upset. Hank Johnson, 38 saves. The transfer over, he was a very phenomenal goaltender on this one, picking up the shutout. Justin Kamant and Cade Townend. Goal scores for the Lakers and in WCHA action right there. Alabama, Huntsville, Lake Superior State. Lakers, they tie 2 2. They go to a shootout. The Lakers able to get the extra point. Mitch Oliver, the shootout winner. Merrick Smittens, 23 saves in the game. As now we move over to Sunday, after going through all of these here, sorry to lose my breath. Uh, Atlanta Hockey. Tigers able to complete the weekend sweep over the Purple Falcons with a 5-1 win. Logan Drackett, another 34-save performance. Will Calvary, a goal and an assist. Three assists for Elijah Gonzalez. Holy Cross and Sacred Heart. Holy Cross able to bounce back with a 6-3 win. Alex Peterson with a pair of goals for the Crusaders. As now we go down the list now to Bowling Green and Mercyhurst. Bowling Green is able to complete the weekend or get the weekend split. Timothy Chardis, I hope I said that right. Two goals for the Falcons leading them to another win, their fourth win of the year. As now we move over to Hockey East Action. Number eight, UMass Merrimack getting a little bit of an upset. The Warriors win 3-2. Patrick Holloway and Zach Vanell, both defensemen, a goal and an assist. And freshman Alex Jeffries pulling up with a goal and assist as well for Merrimack. WCHA Action, Michigan Tech and Minnesota State, the Huskies. We'll talk about that game that's going on right now. Huskies able to get the win yesterday. Blake Piedela, 43 saves. First ever collegiate victory for the other Piedela, not Logan Piedela. Logan Ganey, Eric Gutz, and Brian Howland were the goal scorers for Tech on that game. Also in WCHA action, the Lakers were able to pick up the win, a 3-2 win, where all three goaltenders played for the Lakers over Huntsville. Ethan Langanger earning the win. And in NCHC action, Minnesota Duluth, number three in the country, beating the Miami Redhawks by a 5-3 score. Kobe Roth with two goals and an assist. Cole Kepke and Quinn Olsen each having a goal and an assist. The Huskies knocking off Nebraska-Omaha, Vienti Mietinen, excuse me, the Toronto Maple Leafs prospect, a goal and two assists for him. Yami Kranila, a goal and assist for him in the win for St. Cloud State. They're off to a really good start this year, now ranked number 15 in the country. Western against North Dakota. Well, the Fighting Hawks really showed their muscle here. One, two goals and assist for Shane Pinto in the 8-2 win for North Dakota. Grant mismatched two goals in that game. As well for the Fighting Hawks. And that is it for the lovely and awesome college hockey scoreboard. Huh. That was a lot. I had to to read my notes off my laptop because I forgot my paper notes with me, but huh? That's getting longer every week. Man, I'm getting tired now, just thinking about next week's College Hockey Scoreboard, which has games all week. We talk about me doing a game tomorrow. That's one of four games tomorrow. And that's unheard of in college hockey. But obviously, this time of year, everything is unheard of at this point. So, but let's quit, take a quick look at that score. Can we look can we get back at that tech game? Where is that? Tech in Minnesota State. And right now, it's still 0 0. Have they not updated the stats? Where is it at here? Here we go. We're in the third period. Minnesota State up 2 0 on the Huskies. Mavericks, the number six team in the country, trying to find a way to complete the weekend split with the Huskies. A lot of great hockey, obviously WCHA is currently playing non-conference games. I guess their conference schedule will start next month because they're listed as non-conference, even though they are playing only WCHA teams. But that said, moving on now to talking about more COVID. Unfortunately, let me just have one second here, folks. uh, Hydrate. I'm sure that sounded great on the audio for all of you listeners here on the Kewl Show, which is brought to you by, of course, 2nd String Leather Company and MyBookie.ag let's get into the the NHL start date which has become obviously the big talking point over the past week, Bettman saying possibly January 1st a work in progress, however word has slowly crept out that there is a possibility that January 15th might be the start date now what does this mean? Does this mean it's going to be defended January 15th? Does it mean, oh, that's what they're shooting for? Well, right now, guys, it's all up in the air. It's seeming like January, excuse me, the 15th. Drink that water too fast. Because you're looking at it this way now. You don't want to start January 1st because you don't want to have players have to go into possible regional bubbles or go into training camp around Christmas. So you say, all right, guys, let's let's wait until the middle of next month. Report after the new year or before the new year because we obviously we've seen tests go around. So a lot of, I mean, St. Louis had a little bit of an outbreak. Vegas had a couple players test positive. I'm not sure if Tampa had any. I'm not quite sure on that. Because remember, of course, they had their outbreak, or they, I mean, they had their big party. They had, a, they had a boat parade, so everyone was kind of socially distant. But obviously, you're telling me those players didn't party after winning the Stanley Cup. They probably party, But as far as we know, I didn't see anything come out of there. So there's still a lot to be looked at here If you are the National Hockey League, because obviously there is still that overhanging issue of the obviously the deferral with the players. The last time I reported it, the league was looking for 23 percent. And there's been a lot of people on both sides said, well, the players deserve the money. But then there is the ownership. And I remember Brian Burke had a couple of really good radio hits saying that the players are going to need to take a haircut this year. Those are his words. The haircut makes a real good point. I don't think I need a haircut myself. My hair keeps falling in front of my face cuz I didn't put anything in it today. But there was something that Chris Johnson tweeted out on Gary Bettman's cuz during Barry Gary Bettman's Bettman's presser on when he was talking about the start date on, and also the financial aspect of the return says, quote, under our deal and the one we've had for more than a decade with the Players Association, whatever the revenues are, the players only get 50%. And if we overpay them and they don't pay us back in the short term, they have to pay us back over time. There will be stresses on the system, and we've had discussions about those stresses and how they may might be dealt with. But we're not trying to say you must do X, Y, and Z. We're trying to look for ways to continue to work together. Now, this is tough because... Obviously, they're asking for more money after an agreement was already made. That is obviously the big discussion here. It's because the player said, "Hey, we signed on for this. We signed on to only give up 10% of our salaries. We've only signed up for that. Why should we be forced to give up another 15, was it or gave up 10%? And they had to give up another 13%. Why would we do that if we already signed on for one, not the other? And listen, as a, as a guy who was a player, Never part of a player association, unfortunately. I didn't get that high up in the ranks. I get it. You want to be paid what you've been told you're going to get paid for. I'm not going to name names, but I've played for teams where I've been said, hey, here's what we're going to pay you. Never got paid that. Now, because that's because the league that I was in was kind of a bit of a, you know, a little bit of funkiness. But regardless, as a player, you want what you ask for. And if you do have to change something, as they did back earlier this year, before the bubble, they said, all right, yes, we'll give you 10%. Let's get through this. Let's get all the way till 2026 before the next CBA talk, and let's finish this season out. But then the league took a step back, looked over their finance, said, oh, crap. We are in doo-doo if we don't get more money. Now, the Players Association has to agree on this before the season even starts. That's, pro- that's right now the biggest hill between now and a start to the season. You can shoot for January 15th as much as possible, but if you think these players are going to give you a Christmas gift of an extra 13%, I'm sorry, owners, that's going to be a tough number for them to give. Now, as we talked about when I talked about with Alex the first couple times we mentioned this on the show, you're hoping that the owners and the league are saying, hey, give us an extra 13%, and because that may have been a little high because there may be room to work within the two margins of where they're at, the 10% and the 23% that the players could defer. I would like to think that there is a number that the league is willing to come down to. At the same token, I'm thinking there's a number that the players are willing to go up to. It's just who's willing to give up more. The players will be, now this is not, the league is taking this money, they're going to hold on to it forever. The league will pay these players back. Will it be over the four years that they planned on? I'm not sure initially. Of course, that was only 10%. If we're looking at almost you know, going well over double of what they asked for, it may need to be a longer time to pay off these players because obviously there will be guys that will retire and stuff like that between now and the time this deferral is paid back by the league. So you have to try to figure out that median. Now, I can't tell you what the perfect median is going to be. The league looked over and said 10% probably because, hey, that's a decent number. It's a good chunk of change coming our way. And you know what? We can probably survive on it. And then, of course, you do the second look and like, okay, we need a lot more money than we thought. Then you probably just think 20 to 23%. Now, if the league can get a deferral of 15 16 17%, and the players are okay with that, sign, date it, send it to the press, get it over with, let's play hockey. But I know it's not that simple. As a guy that's in his lifetime, I unfortunately was born after the 94 95 lockout happened. I, they had already started playing hockey by the, time I was, by the time I was born. So I can't say, oh, I've been part of that lockout. Listen, I, that was the season I was in. But I've been part of the 0405 lockout the whole season and the 2012 lockout. And we were literally guys one argument away. From a lockout happening this season. Now, I'm not saying anything here, guys, but wouldn't it have been great if there was just a lockout this year? I'm can- no, I'm not saying it like that. Not like just, hey, call the season off. I'm saying, had the league not, you know, willing, they were not really willing to reopen the current CBA, then we'd have obviously a different lockout in our hands. But right now, we, as I talked about last week with Alex, we are looking at a possible lockout for this year. And we went to the whole kit and caboodle on why it'd be a bad image for the league and why. Yes, and I've heard from multiple people. But the fans will always be there. Of course, the fans will always be there. What else do we have to do? College football is going to be over here in a couple weeks. Yes, there's the college football playoff championship, but I am a Michigan fan, and we have no business in doing that. So there's that. The NFL, yes, I know they'll go. They'll the Super Bowl is going to happen, come hell or high water, come played in the middle of a desert on a dust bowl field. In front of absolutely nobody, not even a camera there. It'll be like literally on a ticker, but sorry, guys. I'm talking too much today, but that's what I'm saying. All this is going to continue on the NBA, despite tests galore, the Raptors having some issues with their tests and players and whatnot. Sorry, when you're the only one doing the show, you kind of have to get a drink of water every so often and, during the break, I was trying to fix the internet. That's why I was, you know, not necessarily worrying about you know hydrating, which ends up obviously being a bad idea. So looking at it from the perspective of, let's look at it from the league side here. They're setting the date for the 15th. Because, as I said before, all right, guys, hang out in the holidays, be smart, be safe. Sign the deal. Players say, we like that idea. January 15th, we could spend the holidays with the families, an extended holiday, something we really don't get to do that often. Because typically, the NHL will, they typically don't play on Christmas Eve, but they'll play the 23rd, they'll play on Boxing Day. Those two days off are literally fly home, kiss the wife, kiss the grandparents, kiss the parents, whatever, all that stuff. Say hi to your cousins and all that. And back on the road you go. Now, obviously a little bit more time this year. But the biggest hurdle is the money. We may honestly, guys, because we've seen the NHL play in the middle of January. I talked about the 2012 lockout. They didn't start until January the 19th. I believe it was the 19th. 19th of 2013. It's 18th or 19th. It was in the middle of January is when they started. They didn't start at the beginning of the year. They started literally almost past smack dab. That made no sense, I know. But they started later on in the month. It wasn't like an immediate, all right, we're in the new year, let's play hockey. No, this is going to be a little bit longer of a process. The difference was that it was at that point, they were in the middle of a CBA negotiation, they were able to get it worked out, and the players understood the money value. Now, I can't tell you exactly what happened with the money sake then, because back then I was just like, hey, let's play hockey. I didn't know the contracts and how they worked. I didn't understand it the fully the way I do now. I was a high schooler. I'm like, why aren't they playing? How could they not? The owners are bad, but Donald Fair is a turd. I, listen, it was the Players Union and Donald Fair and the league. Three separate entities in my eyes. Because I don't know why, Donald Fair seemed like an easy guy to not like. At that time, of course. So we come now back to the present. If, if they can't come to a decision soon, because right now, guys, the word is, as I talked about, We ta- Alex said 42 games. Or I think he said 48 games. I said 42 games. Apparently, the league is looking at 52 or 56, one of those two numbers. Because obviously, someone is putting together schedules as we speak of possible scenarios, which could mean the Cup could be awarded once again in early July. However, they would be able to say, all right, guys, listen, you get two months. Enjoy them. Come back to play that's what's probably going to have to happen because Batman has said he wants to go back to a normal schedule in 21-22. And, you know, whether that be for the Seattle Kraken's sake, whether that just be for the league's sake, whether it be for us fans who just want to go back to normal. Isn't that all we want? Some normalcy. But they need to get that done sooner. They need to, January 15th almost seems like a deadline. If they don't hit that date, we are possibly looking at here, guys, an issue of not being able to play this season. I know it's an entirely scary thought. But that's the thing, too. And this is what Brian Burke said on the radio all last week. You can either get paid less of what you want or nothing at all. I can't. You want 50 bucks. Fine by me. I can only give you 35. I can only give you 40. You don't want 35, 40, you want well, your 50 bucks? Okay, how about I give you nothing at all? It's literally like your parent saying, Well, uh, there, uh, Timmy, uh, I can give you four cookies. I know you want six, but if I can only give you four. But I want six. How about I give you none at all? Well, then. Now, yes, does that sound very down to very basic level and kind of childish? Yes, it does. However, do the players want something or nothing? That is the issue they're going with. And I get it. The players want every dollar they deserve. And you know what? Those guys have put in all the work and effort to obviously get to that point in their careers. And they deserve that money. However, even the minimum wage players, hey, guys, you want five seventy-five k? No, I want my 700000 575K, 700,000. How about zero? Oh, crap. I didn't think this far. That is what I believe. That's why I think the league in this negotiation has the advantage. This is where I believe the league can say, hey, guys, we have all the cards. We have aces in the pocket. We got this battle won. And that's the sucky part, of looking at all this, because, yes, you want to think, oh, the players, you know, what about them? And oh, my gosh, the Tyrant owners and the league and all that and shake a fist at them. But it's the long short – it's the truth, guys. And this hurts for me to say because I want to be on the player side of this thing. But if you want hockey to be played and you want the league to survive – and not say survive. The league will come through with this somehow. But if you want the league to be profitable where in three years it can be profitable where your contracts and the salary cap will increase so your contract will increase – Like I said, the league is going to pay these players back. This is not take away forever and put in their pocket. They're going to give it back to these players once they become profitable again, as they were pre-pandemic. In order for that to happen, the league needs money now to be able to to try. I want to say regrow again. That can't happen without the players' cooperation. I'm not saying the players are thinking short-sighted here. I understand. They get that money. They want the money. Everyone wants the money. Come on. Jerry Maguire, show me the money. I understand. I understand where they're thinking. But their that value of theirs will not grow at all for a decade. I'm predicting if the players set if they settle on 10%, the cap will not go up for a decade because the league is going to continue to have to re i don't say regrow, but redo all their success financially because they're going to be playing at a loss for the next few years if they're not able to get the money back from the players for now. You're right. They will not be paid off in the initial few years after as they signed in the CBA before the bubble. They have not that 10% that they deferred that or the 23% that's being offered right now. That will not get paid off in four years. I get it, but it will come. It's legitimately the idea of when you win the lottery, you take the yearly payments. Yes, you will get that two hundred fifty million dollars, but it's going to take time. Now, personally, I would take the lump sum myself, but that's just because I'm greedy and I want a new TV. But if the players look big picture, if look at all these guys, that yes, there's these thirty-seven year old guys, thirty-five year old guys. I may not have seven years to make up that money or wait seven years before the league is able to bump up their cap to 84, 85, even on the upwards towards 90 million for the cap. I get that. But think of it this way. Think of a guy like, well, just, you know, Toronto here. Austin Matthews. He's making a few dollars. All right? Okay. 23% of almost $11 million. John Tavares, who was a big part of the Players Association, by the way, was a part of the Return to Play Committee. Now I'll expand it. $11 million. Now, I can't exactly tell you what 23 is off the top of my head. Actually, no, I can. Hold on. 11 times 2 is 22. 3 times 11 is 33. That would be 20, maybe 2.5 million. A little over $2 million he'd have to give up this year. That's almost nine million dollars, guys. It's like eight and a half million dollars he'd be getting paid. Boo! Isn't that, that's a, my gosh, what a pay cut, man. How can he live off eight and a half million dollars? Now, yes, it's different for the lower level pay players. I get that. The guys that are making 800 grand. I mean, shoot, look at the lease. Spezza and Thornton making chump change. Now, granted, those players have made a lot of money over the years in their time, so I get that. I can see why it may not affect them the same as it would affect a rookie or a second-year grinder, third third or fourth-line grinders. I get that, okay? But this league, if you're asking me, there... There needs to be a change somewhere in order to Really try to figure out a way to, to just find a, a peaceful medium between the two. Because if not, guys, if not, we could be looking at a lockout. And the players will get nothing. And the league will even need more money from them. Now, I'm not saying the league is going to come out and say, all right, guys, 50%, let's go. I'm not going to say that little too soon to be talking about something like that. Yet, here we are. Right now at a standoff. And literally a standoff that we hoped with the CBA that was signed or the amendment to the CBA that would get us to 2026. We thought, hey, this will take us to the end. This will take us to the promised land. Or at least the end of the CBA, which in my lifetime, guys, hasn't happened. It's been a rarity. So uh, what do you want to do in it? What do you want to do, players? Do you want to make something and get it given back to you later on? Think of yourself as a bank. The angel's taking a loan from you. Now, I don't know if there's going to be interest involved, but eventually it'll come back in your pocket. Do you want that money back? Do you want to get paid at all? I hate to be on the side of the league on this one, guys. Trust me, if this podcast existed back in 2013, holy cow! First of all, we'd be very explicit because high school Tyler dropped F-bombs like it was no tomorrow. He had no control over his voice and what he said. Explains a lot of my lack of friendships. But regardless, I want the NHL to come back. The league wants to come back. The players want to come back. But we can't come back unless A... And B, meet together, shake hands, and agree on a deal. If the owners can come down, awesome. The players got to go up, though. That's just the long and the short of it, guys. I wish I could say that everything be sh- that tomorrow, snap of the fingers, and the money will fall from the sky, and we'll get stimulus checks. Everyone will get another $1,200, and the league will get that money that they need so much. And COVID will fly away as vaccination just kind of falls over the land, and we all just get, you know, po- you know, just become immune to the coronavirus. That's not going to happen, though, guys. Unfortunately, as much as I am good with fairy tale books, it's just not going to happen. So, until a resolve happens, January fifteenth is the potential start date. But until then, there's nothing. We just have two parties. Imagine an old World War I scenario, where one side trying to defend the ground. The other side's trying to force the issue and go after it, go on the attack, but they don't have the manpower. So they're just standing there in the trenches during the winter, doing nothing, kind of waving at each other every so often. Hey, guys. Hello. We're still here. We'll, we'll get over there in a 2nd Literally you how it looks right now, guys. So with that, after my lovely rant, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about more NHL and more college. Now, it's going to be a little bit, you know, you know, a little bit more peaceful and a little bit more of an understanding because we're, I mean, a little bit different because we're talking about some possible outdoor games in the NHL. That'd be fun, right? Because I never complained about there being too much, too many outdoor games in the National Hockey League. We need more, right? Well, this is for a different reason, of course. We'll talk about that on the other side of the break here on the QL Show here on 12-Ounce Sports. And welcome back, everyone, here to the CUEL show here on 12 Ounce Sports. Tyler CUEL, the Insider of the Insiders, here for you in the last hour of today's program. We have talked about, well, we talked about a lot today. World Juniors it's Cody Jansen. We talked about the COVID implications of the World Juniors with a little bit of Cody Jansen and a little bit more myself. Last break or last segment was. All about why the NHL league may be right and for asking for more money, and why the players need more, and that's going to obviously fall on some fall on some people's not so good list. And I understand that, you know, I I get why people think the players deserve it. But I went through all that. If you want to m- know wor- more about what I said, I know what you do. I know what you can do, guys. I know what you can do. Hear me out. Listen to me as well. Or watch if you're watching here on Twelve on Sports YouTube, Facebook, and you're also watching possibly the replay. Then again, if you're watching the replay, then you already know what I'm talking about. If you're watching live and want to know what happened earlier on the show, look at the replay that's going to come up later on. I point down like it's actually somewhere over here on my left side. I mean, if you're watching the replay, then you know it's here on YouTube. I don't know what I'm saying, guys. Watch the replay on the Cule Show YouTube channel. Also, if you want to just listen, if you don't want to see my waving arms and flailing antics and me chugging coffee and water because my voice started to go, always make sure to check out the kill cool Show on your favorite podcatcher, Apple Podcasts, the Google Podcasts, Spotify, yeah, iHeartRadio, Radio FM, we're everywhere. I, I moved, if you're watching here on the on 12-ounce sports, I, I have my little made reindeer that I made back in, when did I make this, in 2002 or something like that, when I was in elementary school, because I need some festive stuff here. I'm, I'm going to wear my hat probably the next couple weeks because, you know, getting more into the... Christmas time here. It's hard to get excited when you go outside because, it's, yeah, it's cold, but there's no snow. There's not supposed to be any snow until like next week. So it's a bit of a bummer here in Michigan. I know some folks up in Canada are like, it's too much snow up here. We need less of it. Listen, for me, I love snow. I like Christmas. I like a white Christmas. Not much about the musical. Okay, that's kind of weird, but regardless, I love Christmas. It's funny. We're actually, my wife was on the phone yesterday with my mother-in-law and we were talking about how I turn into like a five-year-old with Christmas stuff. Like we went to a, there's a, over here in Grand Rapids, we have the West Michigan Whitecaps and they play at Fifth Third Ballpark, big parking lot, just North of town here in Grand Rapids. And they, every year, for as long as I remember, they've been doing a Christmas light show, a drive-through Christmas light show. You take your car, turn off the lights, pay a few dollars. You take your family through there. Did a lot when I was a kid. Hadn't done in about a decade and a half, couple decades, so I'm like, yeah, let's let's go do this. You know, the wife and I first, you know, Christmas married together. We didn't bring the puppy because we wanted to enjoy it. We didn't have to worry about her. I some dog people are like, oh, dogs enjoy lights too, but I just didn't want her barking at other people. Anyways, it was fun and I we were just listening to Christmas music and I was literally just like, Oh, look at the pretty lights, look at all of them and and Kelly thought it was humorous, but I mean I I like Christmas, okay? I like Thanksgiving and Halloween can be fun. i you know, college was you know, it was a whole different ballgame. And I like, you know, other ones too. Of course, on the show we've openly celebrated St. Patrick's Day. We not on not live on here, because obviously well the last St. Patrick's Day was during a pandemic and we were on live TV yet, but we were doing Irish car bombs during the show. So just giving you guys a forewarning about next March on how we made to St. Patrick's Day here on the Kiel show. When that time comes around, when we wear our green shirts and uh, you bought the Guinness, your Jameson, your Baileys, all that good stuff, and have a ball, it's fun here on the Cule Show. But we're going to get back into the, the heavy-duty conversation of how COVID is affecting the game. But let us it's not going to be as, oh, how is the league going to come back? There are some theories on how some teams are going to come back this year. Because obviously, it's going to be tough for teams to make money when they have to play in front of no fans or limited capacity. Now, that said, I've seen some games, Sioux Falls Stampede, I am looking at you guys, where the, uh, they pretty much have like a half bolt like more than half an arena full of people. And I get it, some places don't have the same kind of restrictions as they do in other states. But, you know, there is this thing called the coronavirus that's affecting the entire world. If you could just calm it down out there in South Dakota. I know nobody lives outside of Sioux Falls and outside of, what's the other, Rapid City. But guess what? You don't need to just spread it around your own city. Just, you know, if you could just, you know, just calm down. Like, tomorrow I'm going to be in an arena, but there's going to be an arena of myself, a couple of ice crew workers, Harrison Watt will be on a wall, like me and him will be like separated by a whole foot and a half wall, like I'm me by myself. And there's just that, but... You know that's it. No, no one in the crowd. Nothing. Now that's because Michigan obviously has no no fan policy. But regardless, there's very minimal possible exposure, or at least they're trying to limit it as much as possible. So if you can have, if you have an opportunity to try to do your part, that'd be great because some of us want to be able to call games this year. And I, people that are listening right now can't see that I'm pointing at myself. Because I'm losing my mind here. But let's go back to the NHL here. There is, right now, teams that may be looking at the opportunity to play outdoor games. Now, this is written by my good buddy, Frege, Elliot Friedman, on Sportsnet. He, he started off with, the, the first line is, let's begin with this quickie blog with a caveat, it's a long shot. Now, by long shot, I mean, obviously not much of a chance. However, there are a few teams that are looking at the possibilities of playing outdoors to start the season, or maybe the entire year. Now, this is incredibly interesting because the four teams are on opposite ends of the country. Let's go to the east where you have Boston and Pittsburgh. Now, so the Boston Bruins are looking at the possibility of playing at Fenway Park, not Foxborough. They're not going to go up there. They're going to stay in town. They're going to play at Fenway. As they did back in the 2010 Winter Classic. And, of course, there have been a lot of Fenway Classic. Or, I forget, what do they call it when, they, like, Boston plays BC? I believe it's the Fenway Freeze or Freeze Fenway. I forget what it's called. But they play games. It's already becoming almost an annual thing to play hockey at Fenway Park in Boston following that Winter Classic in 2010. And the Pittsburgh Penguins have looked at both Heinz Field and PNC Park. Now the I don't know about the PNC Park. I don't think they've ever played there yet. And they played at Heinz Field. Pittsburgh has now. And one thing that Ellie Fritt puts in there is that the Steelers may need it until late January. as a knock on wood because right now, did they did they win today? I don't know if they won today. Let me. I don't know if the, did the Steelers win today because they were playing. They had a, an afternoon Monday game and they are winning. The game's still going on. I'm like, they won. No, it is 14 to 14-10 when the third quarter with the Washington football team, the NFC East leading Washington football team. I say that because it's kind of funny. But regardless, Pittsburgh has a couple options of where they can play because they have where the, the, the Pittsburgh Pirates play at PNC Park and obviously Heinz Field. So there are a couple of options where they can play. So, <laughs> excuse me. No, it's just dry throat, guys. Calm down. I am all yelling about COVID. There's why I'm yelling. That's why I'm having a dry throat. The other two teams that are talking about this are the, believe it or not, the Anaheim Ducks and the Los Angeles Kings. Now, what makes this interesting is because Anschutz Entertainment Group owns Dignity Health Sports Park, which is located 15 miles from the Kings' home at the Staples Center. And... Well, now where? Let me think here. To do, 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 do the Kings are the first idea because the owner, the owner group of the Kings is Anschutz Entertainment Group. Now the Ducks could possibly join them as well because obviously you can put. I think they have more than obviously they have only a few different locker rooms there. And Dignity is the home of Major League Soccer's LA Galaxy, which is only twenty-seven thousand. You know, it's a very small stadium, twenty-seven thousand seats, but. You don't need a whole lot. Now, yes, California right now is just an absolute dumpster fire in terms of restrictions. Very strict out there. Heck, the 49ers are playing in Arizona. That's how bad it is out there. Now, I don't know about the Chargers because I don't think they have any home games anytime soon. I don't know what their thing is. Same thing with the LA Rams. But they could, the Kings and Ducks are looking at that idea. Now, obviously, with the restrictions, that kind of limits it. But by the time the angel comes around, and hopefully January 15th, that may be a possibility. Maybe things lighten up then. Now, Boston and Pittsburgh. Boston's up there in Massachusetts, the Northeast. As we've seen with college hockey and all high school sports, there is a lot of problems. Boston University not playing until next year. There is, you know, UMass. Somehow UMass to be able to play games. Boston College has barely just started up. I believe half of hockey East. I know like Quinnipiac's not going to be playing anytime soon. Merrimack, of course, we talked about the college hockey scoreboard. They just started recently. There is a lot of hurdles. The Northeast is trying to get through to get through in the college hockey season, let alone in NHL season. Now, once again, things can change by the new year. Who knows? We're all praying that it changes and it changes for the better. What's hey, new year, new me, right? How about new year? Just new everything for our sake. But now I like this idea because I remember I've harped on the fact that there's too many outdoor games simply because of the fact that and I remember I wrote it from when I was writing my own blog. Shout out to my old Hold the Pucks blog, and I say shout out to even though it's was just me, but I wrote about it how the outdoor games are passe. There's too many of them. Just move it down to one and maybe add a Heritage Classic. The Stadium Series is well overdone. You don't need to do any more of it. And to that extent, it's true. Look at this past year, guys. They had one game, Dallas and Nashville, Cotton Bowl, big game, and it was exciting. It was great. You had one hockey game. There you go, one outdoor game. You don't need six outdoor games a year. Now, why is this different from that? That's because this team just, the teams just want to be able to make money. Now, if you look at it logistically, you're looking at having you know refrigeration systems for these rinks, Trying to control the rinks because, let's be honest, guys, Boston can get pretty cold in January and February. You ever watch a Patriots game in January? Heck, remember the tuck rule? I know your Raiders fans do. Hey, that was under two feet of snow. I'm just saying, guys, it's going to be hectic. You're going to have to be able to control the ice there. Pittsburgh, kind of the similar fashion. Now, of course, remember Pittsburgh, when they hosted it back in 2011, the Winter Classic, it was rainy. Weather is weird. The Midwest goes over in the Northeast. It just turns into a complete and utter just... Whirlpool of nonsense. California would have the biggest issue. Now, yes, it does get a little bit chilly at night. I get that. That's why all the games are played out there. Dodger Stadium and Levi Stadium. That was the Kings and the Sharks. Thank you. Back in 2015. They were played at night for that specific reason. But they had to have very strict and very heavy refrigeration systems to make sure that ice could be maintained. So if you want to do that for an extended period of time for... A length of say you play fifty two games, you know you are looking at between those two teams. You are looking at twenty six home games apiece. You are looking at fifty two games on a sheet of ice in California, Southern California. This ain't like Sacramento, Napa Valley, up near you know get to Oregon, where it can actually be kind of colder in the winter. This is the Sun Belt area of California, where on President's President's Day, excuse me, it can be seventy degrees and hot, sunning. Now, yes, it's a dry heat. Calm down, everybody. I know, we'll never have a game in Florida outdoors. I understand that. But mother of goodness, it's going to be awful if you're going to try to pay all that money to try to refrigerate an ice surface in California. Because they're not going to let you play on synthetic ice in the National Hockey League. Okay? That's how you ruin the game. Okay? Because as soon as as soon as soon there's anyone that picks up a winth of an idea that we can play on synthetic ice... Every sheet of ice in the entire league is going to turn into absolute garbage because every league owner says, let's save a buck or two, guys. Woo! The league won't allow that to happen. I, I pray they don't. So look at it from the perspective of the teams, though. They want to try to fit as many people as they can. Instead of having 2,000 people out of game, they want to have 10,000. Now, I was trying to look up some of the rules and laws and regulations because each state's different. Right now, before, the pop, before this epidemic order here in Michigan, we were allowed to have, about, I think it was about 25 to 30% capacity outdoors for outdoor events, which includes sporting events, concerts, whatever. Socially distant, of course. Well, obviously you have your family, and there were some high school stadiums that I went to that didn't really practice that, but I digress. I believe it looked like a similar facet was going on in Massachusetts and Pennsylvania where they could allow about 20 to 25%. So, I like to think that there is room for opportunity to have people there. And just making sure that everything's okay. I had to make sure all the, I mean, there's no one in the chat because I, like I said, I had to check on my phone to make sure we don't have any internet connectivity issues here as we have had already in the show. About 45 minutes here before we get to. The end of their program. Actually, we don't have anything after this because there's no talking minor to the rando tonight. So I could go overtime if I wanted to. I just don't know if I'll be able to. By that, I mean, I don't think my lyrics can get through it. Lyrics? Lyrics? I don't remember what it is. I have to ask the wife. The, my throat, guys. It's not bad. I'm just talking a lot. and I'm not yet conditioned. If this were the middle of the hockey season where I'm calling games every night, my throat would be a little bit more conditioned. So maybe this is good. So when the time comes that I do get to call a game, whenever that may be, I'll be ready as I almost throw my headset off, shaking my head like a buffoon. So the outdoor games will be good just because you have the opportunity to have more fans, but it's seemingly like there is a possibility that's going to almost cost more than it would be to just accept a loss with ticket revenue playing indoors because now it has not been ruled out yet. There is still the bubble possibility guys, which would completely eliminate any ticket revenue for any of these teams. So, unfortunately, we can't prove it. The outdoor games is a great idea, great concept, but the money involved to put it on is going to cost teams more than it would be to play in front of a a relatively empty barn. Now, what would be a really cost-efficient way, if we're really going to get into it here, guys, an extremely cost-efficient way, don't rent out the building... Play at a public rink and just let it go. Who needs fancy arenas and billboards across the stands? Just go and play at a small public rink. No fans allowed. Have that camera literally on top of the metal bleachers. Don't turn the heaters on. Save as much money as possible. Have the broadcasters, like all of us, just shaking while they're calling the game. And the puck goes up the right wing side and shoots it. Because you're literally shaking. Ask Thomas Biondo about that. We, him and I called a game at Kevin one year, and even I got cold. That's how bad it was, calling games at one time. So the outdoor games would be interesting, but I, I just don't see it being a logistical option for teams that are trying to save money to spend more money to put more outdoor games in. Because, yes, you may be able to sell more tickets, but at what price, though? That's the thing. And by the end of it, the fans are not going to, like, in, think of it this way. If the league allows this, and the Bruins and the Penguins and the California teams and maybe some other teams join in this fray, say they do this idea of playing outdoor hockey, and say the Angels says, hey, do you guys want an outdoor game? Who's going to care about going to an outdoor game in Hinesville because my God, we had 20 of them last year? I'm just saying. They're not going to care anymore about an outdoor game, at least in their town. Now, yes, up there in Minnesota, when they get that Winter Classic, that barn is, that barn, that stadium is going to be chock full of people. It's not going to matter because, well, it's only the second time they get an outdoor game. Remember, they played against Chicago, and that was awesome because Minnesota kicked the crap out of the Blackhawks in that game. One of the few times Minnesota's actually handled the Hawks. Obviously not in the postseason because, well, it seems like Minnesota just can't beat anyone in the playoffs anymore, but regardless, hey, they got Cam Talbot, all right? Maybe there's an opportunity there. So wrapping up this thought here with the outdoor games, I I don't think, I. it's very doubtful that's going to happen. It's a great idea, great vision. At least someone's thinking about how they can try to make money, but financially, it's be more of an expense, more of a risk than it would be just play in your own arena, family and friends only, close relatives, whatever, call it good, take the loss for this year as minimal as possible, and get ready for next year. That's what I'm looking at. Now, yes, folks, that means pretty much means the 21-22 season, there's not going to be a ticket in the entire NHL with the exception of the Florida Panthers that's going to be under 50 bucks. Just saying, because Florida, they're cheap. Arizona's pretty cheap too, but I mean, let's be honest. I, 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 If I have to walk into a game in shorts, it just doesn't seem right, you know? It just seems weird. But moving on here, in what seems to be the last section of our program here tonight, we're going to be talking about the greatest goal of all time. Now, this is something that I've been monitoring. This has been put on by Sportsnet. And, you know, I know some people are probably like, but Tyler... Why would we care? Why would... I mean, first of all, they're like, are you all Sportsnet? Are you a Mr. Sportsnet guy? No, I'm not Mr. Sportsnet. I just... I look at Sportsnet and TSN, and I'll be honest, there's a lot of stories that get reported the same way. Calm down. I'm not biased towards anybody. Yes, we've had multiple people from Sportsnet. Right now, I'm talking to a guy from Sportsnet that we may bring on soon. Knock on wood. not going to reveal any names. Can't jinx it, right? Even though I just said who he works for. But regardless... I like guys from TSN as well. I like people from both sides. But anyways, Sportsnet really fell the time, has been putting together a poll and pretty much had a tournament of the best goals in the history of the National Hockey League. Now, these are not the most inspirational goals. These are not the greatest moment goals. Like I said, that's why Paul Henderson's goal doesn't count. Rizzo's goal from the 80 Olympics doesn't count. We're talking about from the NHL and absolutely phenomenal, as Alex would say, phenomenal, highlight reel goals. Goals that will be like Merrick Malik's goal, Merrick Malik's goal, excuse me, in the shootout. A goal that's a highlight reel forever, even though as annoying as it gets. So the one that won, now I'm going to say the one that won right now because, first of all, it's on everyone's mind and because, well, you know, it's, it's pretty, I, I would like to think it's pretty obvious. It is Alexander Ovechkin's goal in 2006 against Phoenix. Yes, I said Phoenix. Simply because of the fact that, well, at, at that time they were Phoenix. Let's see, do we get any more votes? None whatsoever. Okay. Well, we had two votes before then, so let's uh, let's just say uh, uh, both votes were for Ovechkin's goal. The goal where he falls on his back and throws it over his head. A rookie highlight for sure. Now, there has obviously been a lot of goals, and the ones I put in the poll were Ovechkin's goal in 06, Rick Nash's goal where he dangles around the Coyotes. I know, the Coyotes again, I get it. Dangles around the Coyotes, scores well. It actually was the game-winning goal in that game as well. As well as Maxim Afeneganov's goal against Dallas where he does the spin move right in front, able to pull the puck out of his feet and push it in by John Graham. That goal was amazing. Now, why I want to discuss this, even though we have an answer, and yes, Ovechkin's goal may have been the greatest of all time. Why I want to bring it up is because there's so many more that really had a good chance to be towards the top. Now, I believe the final four, hold on. The final four consisted of Ovechkin's goal in 06. I believe it had the Connor McDavid goal on Morgan Riley. I believe it had the Rick Nash goal as well, as well as the Pavel Dotsuk goal against... Mari Turco, or at least the drag, where the heel drag that everyone likes to do now when they play NHL. Chell, excuse me. So, there are, for me, a lot more interesting ones. Now, one that I, I... mean, Ovechkin's got so many highly real goals. There is the one where he bounces off the boards and spins away from the defender against Montreal in the playoffs, and ends up running into Carey Price. There's Bobby Ryan's tick goal against the National Predators in the playoffs, where... He literally just flings around. I, gosh, was that? I believe it was. Wasn't it Ryan Suter? We're not Ryan. Or yes, it was Ryan Suter. Where he just kept bringing it around him, and then eventually ends up deking out Pecorino and roofs it backhand. A goal that I always have. Loved. I love. First of all, Maxim Finneganov's goal. I have to give it props because Maxim Finneganov was so good during his time. Like as a guy that. You know, you really didn't know when his peak was. And I would love to bring on Jordan Deshane for this reason because Ganov was such a skillful player. And those Sabres teams that he played on were talented. They were just never good enough to get over the hump. He was on the 99 team, he was on the 07 team that made it to the conference finals, the President's Trophy winning Buffalo Sabres. Remember, he scored that big goal in game five of the, the second round series against the Rangers. He was so talented, sneakily talented. And that's why that goal where he literally finds it in his feet and spinning around in front of the net, no one knocks him over. And this is back in the hook and grab era too, where literally someone could have just grabbed him by the horse collar and yanked him down and there would have been no call. But he somehow gets freed, dangles around, puts it in around John Graham. Beautiful goal. I love that one. And something I've kind of realized as I have, as I have looked through all of these goals is and yet yeah, there's Merrick Malik's goal. That's one of them. Oh good lord. I <laughs> I hate the NHL so much. But most of these goals are post-lockout. The ones on the list are that are not are Finnegan's in 3 and the goal by Peter Forsberg during the 0-2-03 season against Calgary, where he literally has the puck by himself and he just skates around the entire zone of Calgary's zone. And you you all know, I know it's how long ago it is because Roman Turek is the goaltender for the Calgary Flames. That's how old it is. And, of course, this is when Colorado had those ugly maroon or burgundy with the Colorado going like the Rangers. Something that everyone tries to duplicate nowadays, but not many people can do it right. That goal, which is letting him just shooting the puck. And, I mean, there's so many great goals. I, the ones that I am, Well, we're still going here. That's on the audio portion. Was a goal by Lars Eller. It was a spinorama goal. It was not a penalty shot. Lars Eller, and I believe it was against Andre Pavlik. It was back when it was the Winnipeg Jets. I think their first season, he really does a spinorama and he falls on top of Pavlik as he's coming across and dangles in. I think it was Pavlik. For some reason, I think it was the Jets. I could be wrong, but it was Lars Eller. It was a beautiful goal. Why Dot Souks is so good? is because he did it multiple times. He did it against Turco, live in game action, and then he perfected it in the shootout. He did it against, of course, the very famous one. We talked a little bit about him with Cody Jansen, Tomas Vokun, in the shootout after the lockout. There was, I think he did it against, I think he did it against Josh Harding as well, Minnesota Wild. And then everyone was like, oh, but he did a flip one against Niami, Guys, it's the same move, except he flipped it. And for me, I'm like that move is, and I, my brother tried to, you know, every time we go out and play pond hockey, he would try to perfect that goal every chance he got. And even with no goaltender, it's a difficult move to do. simply because the fact that, you know, it's, it's not an easy goal. And, you know, I, it's cause you have to be at the right speed and you have to have good edge work to be able to turn while you're doing that move. Now, and this is why I'm not knocking Ovechkin's goal where he falls on his back, but that one is literally, yes, you'd be able to sweep the puck in, but nine times out of 10, he doesn't make that. Nine times out of 10, he falls, puck slides in the corner, and he just kind of doesn't tumbleweed in the corner and after the puck. But that's why that goal is such a great goal. Now, the fact that Datsu was able to do it multiple times is why I believe that goal is better. Now, yes, like I said, he did it once during the game and he was able to perfect it in the shootouts and doing penalty shots. I, I get you there, Okay. Another goal that, for me, is so incredible. I remember, because we, we talked about it on the show after it happened. It was Matthew Kachuk's goal in overtime at the last second against the Predators. I, for some reason, the fact that that one wasn't higher just absolutely makes me mad because we talked about it in length on the show because we broke it down. Kachuk is speeding down the left wing side. Full speed, and I, yes, I know I'm just talking about them, guys. You're going to have to go home and watch them yourselves, or if you click these, if you go to Sportsnet, search Sportsnet Greatest Goal of All Time, you can click on each one, you can watch each of them. The reason why the goal by Kachuk is so impressive, he just jarring down the left wing side, full speed, their clock is ticking down. They're literally seconds away from a shootout. Puck jumps in the high slot, and Kachuk, not just batting at backhand trying to get it towards the goal, Thought, decides to in the split second realize I can get more of it on my forehand, but instead of trying to go backhand forehand or turning open up and shoot and shoveling it forehand, he decides at full speed to go between the legs and shove it up backhanded or forehand excuse me between the legs, over I believe it was it. Saros "Okay, hold on now I got to watch it. Can I watch it live here? Yes, I it was, it was on Peccarini. Okay, I at least had to see the image. It was on pecorini Beautiful goal. There you go." That one should have been considered more because it's a very quick play. You can't think about it. You are a millisecond away, one way from tipping it off the toe and going in the corner or missing it entirely. That's why that goal is so impressive for me. And I found out there's actually one, another one that's not. Oh, yes, the Peter Schaefer goal. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe I forgot this one. This one, I'm sorry, there's three goals pre lockout here. On this list and it's Peter Schaefer against against Dallas, Marty Turco. So the puck's coming down the wing. I don't have to watch the video. I just remember the, I can see the highlight. This is why if you watch, if you do too many deep dives on YouTube, you find all these highlight real goals. So Peter Schaefer's coming on the wing and Marty Turco, a lot of people you remember Michigan boy, by the way, Michigan goaltender, Marty Turco likes to play the puck. Was never afraid of coming out of the goal. I'm pretty sure he hit a couple. I remember those those series against Edmonton. He'd come out of the net and hit everybody. He didn't care. Back in the early 2000s, when that rivalry was at its peak between Edmonton and Dallas, late 90s as well, I should probably mention. So he was always a goaltender, loved to go out of the net, play the puck, was a really good puck-playing goaltender, both in, in college at Michigan, up through the minor league ranks, which wasn't that long, to be honest with you, and, of course, with Dallas for the majority of his career. He was coming out of the net. Peter Schaefer skating down the right wing side, so Turco's coming out to his glove side. Turco comes out, and he's about halfway out and realizes, oh, snap, Peter Schaefer's fast, or he's faster than he thought. So he's going to do the ha do the big layout, try to block him, try to trip him up, which I have done from time to time in, in, in this play, just like Turco, sometimes a bit unsuccessful. But instead of dragging around or somehow just shooting it by him, Schaefer chips the puck over Mario Turco, Somehow avoids getting tripped by Marty Turco. And as the puck is about to go wide of the goal, Schaefer dives out and taps it with the backhand of his stick, the very tip of his blade, into the open cage. Full speed, diving across, great effort, beautiful goal. That one's fun because it's not not a typical goal. We go with the Ovechkin kind of logic here. Nine times out of ten, Schaefer misses it, he gets tripped, he misses the bat, puck goes wide, Turco gets it, whatever. You know, or Schaefer pulls up, realizing he doesn't want to hit the goaltender. You know, there's a lot of things to consider on that play. That time it worked out for Peter Schaefer. Another one, look at it, there's there's an Alex Hems- there's Alish Hemsky's goal. Remember when Alish Hemsky played for Ottawa? I almost said Edmonton, but everyone remembers that. I'm talking Ottawa. Guys. This is how deep dive of the goal of this one was. And where is it? Can I find it? I can't find it. It's okay. But it's it's a pretty goal because Hemsky was way past his prime at this point, but he was able to literally just dangle his way through. And Hemsky was such an underrated player. And that's because uh, for the longest time, he played on such a bad. I mean, when he was younger in the early 2000s, yes, Edmonton was making the playoffs, but they'd always run into Dallas. It's how it seemed like almost every year for a while. And Hemsky was on those teams. Ryan Smith as well. Remember the Tommy Salo years? Holy cow. He was on that team. And then, of course, there was the lull up into the lockout. And then there was 06 when Hemsky was leading this charge with Horkoff and, Ethan. you know, Rafi Torres. I don't think Morrow was there yet. And, of course, Ryan Smith and Chris Pronger. And, you know, oh, gosh, Dwayne Rolison. I'm about to say. I almost said... You know, uh, Yuri Mar- uh, UC Marketing, but people like to forget Marketing in Edmonton because of that 2006 series. But he was such a great player. And the fact that everyone's like, whoa, what a play, you know, but it's the fact that he was past his prime and showing that he still had that touch that he had with those Edmonton teams where he was the go to guy. He was their best player because it's really all they had for the longest time with him and Ryan Smith. How many times is Bobby Ryan on this list? I'm just, I mean, yeah, so Vetchkin's on one, two, holy cow. All right, hold on. I'm going to do a quick count here. One, two, three, three. Okay, McDavid is on here only three times, as is, it looks like Malkin's on here three times as well. Jason Spetz is on here once. Taves is on here. David's on here three times. 3 times, 4 times. Yep, just 3 times. Okay. There's a couple of very, you know, relative characters here in all this. Now, one that is incredibly underrated is Jordan Eberle's goal because I it's imagine in your first National Hockey League game. Yes, you're playing on a a relatively bad Edmonton Oilers franchise. But you had a successful junior career. You won a gold medal in the World Juniors in 2009 where you literally saved Canada against Russia. Big and a great goal. Remember, forehand, backhand. Can you believe it? I can! Yeah, that goal. Almost saved Canada in the 2010 gold medal game had it not been for Martin Jones not being able to protect the short side against John Carlson, but that's neither here nor there. Look at... Think of it if you're Everly and you're going your first NHL game and you're playing Calgary. And Calgary was in a weird spot at this point as well. Yeah, they had Mika Kepersov, I think McGrathen was still playing on that team, Jerome McGinnla was still there. It was an interesting group. They were past that point of being a contender for anything, but they were they had some talent there. So you have a battle with Alberta that's just more or less, you know, kind of how Montreal and Toronto was for a while when Toronto was bad and Montreal was good and even, you know, when Toronto and Ottawa a little bit as well. When Toronto was bad and Ottawa was good. Kind of like a weird game. I'm like, okay, there's sentimental value here, but there's not going to be much for this game. Yeah, you'll see a few fights because it's the battle of Alberta. You know, we talk here in Michigan. Michigan-Ohio State. Well, you know, it's a big game in sentimental value, but Ohio State's probably going to win by 30. That's how it works in here in football. Hockey is a little bit different. But Jordan Everly goes into his first game. The puck... He gets put on the penalty kill because at that time, Tom Rennie was the head coach and, you know, let the rookie learn kind of how to play everywhere. Very skillful, still has good hands. We saw it this past year in the world, in the playoffs. Still talented, and he showed that as, as a rookie. How about in your first game, you have a two-on-one, all right? So if you're coming out your right-hand side, your shot, two-on-one the penalty kill. Let's just get a shot on goal here. You have a guy to your left. I could pass it over to him, but the defenseman's got a really good lie on me. Maybe just get a shot on goal. Go for a rebound, try to get a banging goal, a dirty goal on the penalty kill. That'll get the boys fired up. That'll get the crowd fired up here at Rexall Place. Or you can realize Air Jordan Eberly. literally drag around the defender over the stick, step over the defenseman's stick, not trip, and go on the backhand and shelf on Mika Kempersov. That's a good way to make an impression, don't you think? I mean, uh, who is the defenseman on that goal? Can I see it? I can't tell from that angle. I don't want to play the video because I don't want to ruin the the issues with the stream because we've already had enough issues then. But it's such a pretty goal because he's kind of falling down too at that backhand. It's such a sleek move and it just shows that the kid had confidence to not just make a, you know, force a pass or force a shot on goal or Go high and wide to the short side, like you see so many guys do. It seems like on two-on-one or two-on-old breaks. Well, not two-on-old breaks. They try to do too many passes, but to have the presence of mind to realize I can dangle this guy, I can you know actually make a move. That's why that goal for me is so incredible. The Evgeny Malkin spinorama goal against was that not against Edmonton? Where was it? Where is it at? Hold on, I gotta find it. Shades of Mario, spin doctor. Who was that against? That was, oh yeah, it was Edmonton. I was right. That goal was, it's skillful in the fact of the shot because you're coming down the right wing if you have Danny Malk in full speed and you see a defender on you. And you think, well, this guy's, I mean, I can't even tell who the defender is. It's Anders Nielsen and goal. Something Fane. This was the 2015-2016 season, guys, so don't forget that this was a bad Oilers team at this point. I think it was 14-15, actually, excuse me, because Nielsen was the goaltender, but he goes on the back, he spins around, pulls it, toe-drags it, gets it on the backhand, and just fires it. Just, it's one-on-one. No one's trailing. Everyone's going for a change. I'm just going to rip this thing on the backhand. Now, yeah, some guys have good backhanders. Andy Crosby has a great backhand. Pavel Dotsug, Henrik Zetterberg, they are both good backhanders. Of course, there's, I mean, Gretzky, of course, literally had a blade that was built for backhand passes. But just to absolutely just rip one at the faceoff circle and somehow pick the short side corner on an NHL goaltender. I don't care how bad Anders Nielsen was back in those days. That's not an easy shot to get on net and be able to put in the corners like that. Now, I'm not saying that everyone can do it. And I'm not going to say Evgeny Malkin would sit there at the end of practice, skate down the right wing side, turn, spin, and fire. Every, like do that 10 times so he can figure it out. That is a in-the-moment play. And the wherewithal is just like, hey, let's just try to get something here. Hopefully it gets on. Oh, it went in. I mean, it's, it's absolutely mesmerizing that play because it's such a hard backhander that you don't quite expect it to happen. And I'm just... Ugh. It's it's so impressive to watch. Oh, yes, of course, Sidney Crosby. So the backhanded goal, and that was against, was that against the Jets? No, it was against Buffalo, back when Robin Leonard was a Sabre. And that was the 16-17 season. Crosby has got a defender draped all over his backside. Someone's grabbing a hold of him. It looks like that may be Ra- or Zach Bogosian. Sidney Crosby, by the way, is honest to goodness one of the strongest people i think i've ever seen ever seen live because i don't under i i just i don't see how a guy can hold off a defender cuz apparently and this is what i've been told after games cuz nowadays it's not just oh go out and have a beer with the boys after the game. Nowadays they go to the they go to the room, they ride the bike, do some auxiliary lifts, you know, kind of Get the lactic acid out of your muscles, and it does help. Yes, I've. I remember even when I was playing senior league in Canada, we had a gym that was connected to the rink, and I would go to the gym before I went up to the Blue Line Cub. I'd go ride the bike for about five, 10 minutes, and go off and do that. I wouldn't do lifts. Apparently, rumor has it, Sidney Crosby would go to the uh, go to the dressing room, get changed, do his media availability, whatever, and then after that, he would go into the gym. And he would go over to, you know, the, the pads for your deadlifts. And he'd rack them up a little bit, you know, about 300 pounds, do a couple. Put out a little more. Apparently, now, I don't know if this is still true to this day, but this was back maybe 16, 17 when I heard this story. He would rack 500 pounds on on this barbell and do deadlifts after a game. 500 pounds. Guys, I'm sorry, Okay. That within itself is doing 500 pounds when you're meaning to lift and actually gain muscle. That's one thing. How about after you play for Crosby, say, 25 minutes? Holy criminy. That's that's nuts. So on this goal, he's got a defender literally in his back pocket trying to steal his wallet. He's holding them off, and he's coming down on Robin Leonard. No, yes, Robin Leonard at this time was struggling in more ways than one, but it's seeming like, you know, Krause only got one hand on a stick. Leonard's got this, right? At the last second, Krause is like, I'm just going to take it on the backhand and just flip it over because he's got this insane amount of strength in each part of his body. He's got wrists that could probably curl a moose, and he uses that strength to really flip it over Leonard, glove high, snipe, in motion, game speed. Like, I knew a couple guys that would literally come down... You know, you'd be playing fun at the end of a shootout, the end of a summer skate, and they would take it on their back and try to flip it. And some guys are pretty good at it. But no one has the wherewithal in a game to try to like, all right, I can actually make this a scoring opportunity. And Like, that's why we play mini six kids. Why you sit there and just whack it at it. But, or you can actually try to dangle with it, get that wrist action. And hey, Sidney Crosby can do it. So can you. No, that's not necessarily true. Sidney Crosby is a world above a lot of us. So that goal in itself was impressive. Now, I'm going to go with the omissions here. Because when I was talking about guys that that did a lot of tr- uh, like Crosby training, and one that I, a visual that I remember, because ESPN even did a feature on him when he was in Florida, was Jarmer Jager, a guy that's still playing over in Czech Republic right now. I believe the Czech 2 League, if I'm because he owns the team out there. He would, at the end of games, he would go to the gym, and work out. Do an actual workout after games to stay in shape. Now, he wasn't lifting 500 pounds, deadlifting. He wasn't benching 350 or squatting 400 pounds. No, he wasn't doing that. He was doing auxiliary stuff. He would go out in the ice, you know, with weights on his ankles and skate like that, you know, kind of just keep the motion, keep the wrist strong. Because let's be honest, Yager was not that fast. He was a graybeard. But he could still produce. He still had the ability, the vision, the wherewithal. And I'll be honest, had he had a real chance, I don't want to say he would have done a lot in Calgary. That was kind of a weird fit. It just gave the it just gave the Yager mullet, the mullet crew another guy to add to their team. Oh, even though it was only a few games, but the what he would do is where he would wear a vest. Like I remember, there was an actual tweet. Here's Jaromir Yager after a game. I believe it was in in Dallas or Tampa. Him with a trainer doing wind sprints. Parachuted wind sprints after a game. I've done wind sprints at the end of a workout. Like a summer workout. And I've been like, this is the dumbest decision I've ever made in my life. Like I said, I used to ride the bike. I wouldn't do sprints on the bike. I would just ride it for a few minutes casually. You know, check my phone. See how the games went around the league. And that was it. I didn't go out and like, all right, boys. Bago, let's go. Yeah! Like, this guy is 40-some-odd years old and making 20-year-old Tyler look like a bum, which, I mean, I was. But regardless, this guy was an absolute machine, which is why it is a crying shame that his goal in the 91 final against the Blackhawks is not on this list, where he literally dangles, where Harry Neal, on the call, I... Let's see if I can do it. Uh, I can do it. I'm, I'm trying to think if I can do my Bob Cole impression on it. Yager with it. Nice move. Another nice move. He's in. Scars. Yager. I think that's how the call went. I'm trying to think. But Harry Neal's answer, the response for it was great. He he deked everybody but four people in the arena, and three of them are ushers. And I just I remember that one because Harry, Harry Neal and Bob Cole – they they were they were the best tandem. I don't care what anyone says. Joe Bowen and Harry Neal was great too. But Harry and Bob Cole on Saturday nights for and uh, I was very young, unfortunately, when they decided to part. Well, I actually not really, because they were there they were there for a long time. Never mind. I but I was not able to see them at their peak in the nineties and yeah, I did see them a little bit in the early two thousands, but not as good. I mean, they were at their the pre ninety four lockout, they were I'd say at their peak. For sure, because Harry Neal, because that was a great tandem. That was the, Bob Cole and Harry Neal were the Pat Summerall, John Madden combo of hockey broadcasting. For those people that would, I guess would understand the reference then. You had Bob Cole, who could tell a story like no other, and Harry Neal, who could, he wasn't quite as much as the, you know, the board and all that stuff. Wouldn't draw the X's and O's all across your screen, but he'd come up with the old quip every so often and made it quite entertaining uh, I'm trying to, and I remember how I mentioned Paul Henderson's goal in game eight of the 72 summit series, why that's omitted from this list, because obviously it's a great moment, a goal and a big moment. The goal that would be an interesting goal to look at is his goal that one game seven of that series in Moscow, Paul Henderson, who at the time, I believe I've been 72. I think he was with the Leafs at this point, he had played for the Red Wings in the 60s. Made a couple of Cup finals, never won, unfortunately. Paul Henderson, born out of luck. Now Ontario, by the way. Paul Henderson, his goal where he—I I don't know if he deked one. I've, I'm trying to think of the goal off the top of my head. He got around one defender, and it for because you look at some goals back in those days, and because the hands back then was very choppy stick handling. You watch anyone, and they just push the puck, push the puck, push the puck. May make a quick move and shoot. And now that's how they would score because if you ever lifted the puck, it seemed like it always went in the back of the net, or if you shot it low hard, hard enough, low on the ice. That's why Boom Boom Jeffrey, I'm Bernie Jeffrey on senior. He was a phenomenal hockey player because he could shoot the puck hard, and he didn't have to lift it because no goaltender was going to go down and try to break their ankle trying to stop a shot. So that's why that began to work. But the goal that was scored was just a very dynamic goal because i don't know he just paul henderson he's coming down full speed makes a move around and beats Tretiak, which for the longest time in that series seemed almost impossible but it's a very underrated goal I, I suggest people to go back and look at it now this obviously these are the greatest nhl goals of the 21st century which which stinks which is why i believe it's it's tough i mean there's i'm sure there's a lot more but a lot of these are and especially in the digital age where a great goal happens and blown up like Connor McDavid's goal when he came back against Columbus an absolutely phenomenal goal, a goal against Morgan Riley and the Leafs this past season on Michael Hutchinson, where he absolutely just dances around Riley. Like he's a, like a fourth pair defenseman in the ECHL. That's a no- highlight real goal. I would love there for it to be a 20th century list and I would love for someone to get a deep dive on it. I just don't know if anyone's going to want to do it by themselves. And you know, there's because there's so many great goals, so many great goals that I think are missed out on. I'm sure there was a couple in 2000, 2001. I almost feel like I should go back and watch my Don Cherry, I, my old Don Cherry movies that I have, the old Rockham Sockhams. I gotta go pull those out. I'm gonna maybe post them and be like, listen, here, guys, this goal was legit. This goal was amazing. There's gotta be a Pavel Bure goal from the 2000s, right? I mean, with Florida, not with the Rangers. I'm talking with the Panthers that were pretty highlight reel. I mean, come on. There's got to be something. And uh, I, there was a... I'm trying to think. Was the Steve Eisman goal against Toronto? Was that the night? Was Because at that point, Curtis Joseph was the goaltender where he, even though at that point, he only had, I think he had one knee left. He dangled around the entire Toronto Maple Leafs. This was the Curtis Joseph Leafs, like I said, which had... Uh, Berg wasn't there yet, but it had Danny Markov on defense... Yuskevich on defense. Todd Gill, I believe, had actually gone to the wings at this point in his time. Oh, he was he was there. There was I'm trying to think of the names off the top of my head. There were so many great goals that Stevie Eisman had. Not as many later on in his career because obviously he started to lose his speed after his knee injury. But there's so many great ones. i there should be a great a goal, a goal of the century. Yeah. Greatest goals of the 20th century, and I would love to see it because you probably wouldn't see that many from the 40s and 50s, A, because you'd have to go on whatever highlights you have left. And there's only every so often you see a couple of really great goals. Because that's like if you ever look up, say, for the greatest save ever. The greatest save of all time. You're not going to see many from the olden days. Because A, not as many video highlights. B the saves were fairly routine. If you go back and watch a game from 1960s, this is why the NHL Network, when I first started watching it in the mid-2000s, were so interesting because they didn't have as much you know, NHL Tonight, NHL on the Fly, NHL in the Morning. Well, they didn't have all these, all these original shows. They would have NHL on the Fly with Dan Pollard and sometimes an analyst just quickly running through the games. They didn't even have, like, analysis. They was like, and here was Buffalo versus the Islanders. And they would go, they'd cut, you know, this you know the NHL condensed games that you see. Literally with it, what they would put on their program. Because it was very simple. But they do like classic series, but they always play vintage games. And they're so entertained to watch because the game back then was so different. And there's a lot of people that look at the, the Soviet Union versus... Montreal Canadiens. Was it seventy six? There was, a, and it was a three-three tie. And some people say it was the greatest game ever played because of all the talent that was on the ice. It was the se- late seventies Montreal Canadiens, the four peak Canadiens. Between you know Guy Lafleur, Larry Robinson, Serge Savard, Guy Lapointe, Kenny Dryden was the goaltender, if I'm not mistaken. Stevie, uh, Steve Steve and. <sighs> Probably missing a few more off the top of my head. Uh, Mario Tremblay, I believe, was on that team as well. Lambert, the guy that scored the goal in the seventy nine semifinal against Boston. And on the other side, you had Vladimir Krutov and Boris Mikhailov. Kalov. Vladislav Trachak was your goaltender. Fatisov was not there yet. He was actually a believe it or not, he was I think was a rookie on that nineteen eighty Soviet team. Krutov, Karlamov, like the that team was so good. Like it was literally the best team in the international game against at that time, the best team in the NHL and they went ahead and they tied. It is the, I think that was the the league's way of trying to say, like, all right, NHL. We, yes, we're able to put an all-star Canada team against them and win. We need to show that our NHL teams can win. No, yes. The Philadelphia Flyers beat them because the Philadelphia Flyers literally beat the Soviets into a pulp. And they just punched him around. Ed Van Amp, throwing elbows. And Bobby Clark going at Karl like he did in 72, like a kamikaze. And Billy Barber just skating around everybody. And Reggie Leach showing he had skills. And Bernie Bronson back there. I'm like, gosh, these guys suck. No, that was not the case at all. I mean, the Flyers did win. They won handily, but they scared the holy bejeebas out of the Red Army. That's what happened in that game. So, like I said, I'd love to see more of these lists, and the 21st century, I believe, is very limiting. Obviously, it's easier though to find all these highlighted real goals, so that's good. Obviously, I feel like I mean there is there is a couple of the Michigan goals, which is which is good. Get the Michigan goal in there, and at least I called it the Michigan because had they not, you would have heard a pop from this guy, and you know, literally everyone else because it is the Michigan. And I, I don't see why it would be anything but the Michigan. I'd love to have Mike Leg on the show. That'd be a fun. That would be a fun guest. And so I think that's it, though, for tonight, guys. I think that's enough. Had technical errors. Had Cody Jansen on the show. That was fun. Be sure to check out the replay if you're not. If you're well, if you're just tuning in, I'm sorry. We're uh, we're done here. Make sure that you check out the replay tomorrow. It'll be up hopefully sometime tonight, but you can check it out tomorrow when you actually you know, wake up and are awake and stuff, unless you are a night owl. you know, If you like to watch stuff at 1 o'clock in the morning, hopefully this is up by then. You can watch it. Be sure, I forgot to mention stuff. off the top of the show, check out our awesome merchandise. I'm wearing a shirt right now. Check out the merchandise for all you people listening. Go to teespring.com slash stores slash the-ql-show. Be sure to get all of your awesome merchandise TKS Swag-tacular. Be sure to get all that on tspring.com. The link is always in the description of the videos and your favorite podcatcher, you can find us and listen to us there. The link for our merchandise will be on there. It's also on pretty much every single one of our social media accounts. If you find it. Well, oh, I mean, watch the video or just, you know, just check us out on the social media. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook at the cool show on all of those. Make sure we talk about today's episode. Use the hashtag TKS. It's literally Right. There look at it T I can do let me just T K S S See it's right on top of Chris Osgood's blocker. People that are listening, I'm like, what is happening? I don't know what's going on. Listen, if you're just listening and you wanna watch well, look at the time that you're listening. If you're at I'm trying to figure out what time we'd be at right now. We did stop this at one point, so it says an hour and a half in. But if you're watching the replay, you know, we started at six, we're at about two and a half hours, so two hours and whatever. Just look at the audio and be like, all right, we're at this time. Go to that time. There's going to be a little bit because we don't have all the commercials for the, for the audio or for the video. No, for the audio feed that we have in the video because a couple of our videos don't really have any dialogue. So it'd be kind of dumb to hear just, hey, here's music playing. Because, I mean, the Second Street leather commercial that we have, which is awesome because it shows all of their cool products, Second Street Weather company. In that corner, not that corner. That's TKS. That's second like string leather company. It'd be kind of weird just to hear like the nice soft music. I'm like, oh, this is very soothing, but you don't know what it is. I mean, we have the Amazon commercial now, which is cool, and of course we have the My MyBookie, which has dialogue in it, which you could hear. But you know, I mean, it's it's uh, it's okay. I mean, it's it, you'd rather just kind of like just get to the content. But yeah, I got to wrap this up. I mean, even though I don't have to because. No talking miners this week with the rando. He'll be back next week, though, because there's a lot to talk about. I'm sure I would love to hear his take about the ECHL, but we'll have to wait for next week on that one. But I'm going to get out of here because, well, I'm mean, going to get out of the studio. I mean, I, I live here. But get out of here and relax. We watch some more Christmas movies, edit all this stuff up. And for all of you that were wondering about the Michigan Tech game, I'm going to find it for you. Go to my history. Where is it? Where is it? There it is. Let's see what we got here. Minnesota State beats the Michigan Tech Huskies by a score of two to nothing. So the Mavericks pick up the weekend split with Michigan Tech after Tech won yesterday. Huh, alright. That is it for this one, folks. I've done it all I, most of the show is by myself. I've had issues and everything, but we got through it together. Thank you. We'll see you all next week. Once again, be sure to use the hashtag TKS. At the CULA show, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you all for hanging in there with me on this Monday night here in December. Two and a half weeks till Christmas, guys. We can make it. I'm Tyler Kule, signing off here on 12 Ounce Sports. We'll see you next time on the CULA show. Goodbye.